0: The following program is a proud member of the Palaver family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at palaver.com. That's P A L A V R dot com. Can I eat this speed? You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai. Green class to trash since 1977.
1: All right, everybody, welcome to the GGTMC. We are back. We are back. Yes, we are back. We're the original host of the GGTMC this week.
2: Yes, he is Marie 1. I am Marie 2.
1: Yes. <laughs> so we're back together again, uh, which is, you know, great, as always. And uh, Yes. What it was, I don't even know what I was going to say. I'm a little out of it. Uh, in full confession mode here, I've had about three hours of sleep in the last 24. So I'm a little... I'm a little kind of out of it. Will called me on the Skype just a second ago, and he was talking to me, and I was kind of like, yeah. (laughs) I'm just kind of, you know, I'm in one of those hazes right now. So hopefully I'll get out of that little funk here.
2: That means between us, we've had the required eight hours for one person a night.
1: Nice. Nice. Again, a warning to anybody. Children are great, but if you love sleeping, you might want to rethink it. Yeah. (laughs) You might want to rethink the whole logic behind that. Okay. Uh, All right. So this week we are going to talk about, this is our long-awaited Diabolic DVD show. You know, we got in bed with those guys a while back, and we've had to push things off. Will had to take a vacation, which was much needed, and he had a good time. We'll talk a little bit of that here in the intro, too. And, uh, you know, we just had to push it back. So next week we'll start our Ladies Appreciation Month, which we haven't really figured out which one we're going to do next week or not, but we'll figure that out by the end of the show. And uh, this week we're covering Machine Gun McCain. Uh, on blu-ray which is uh from 1969 and uh daisies uh i'm not even going to try to pronounce the original title right now uh <laughs> we'll go for that when we do the review but that's from 1966 so should be interesting to talk about both of those films uh little well, eurocrime and uh well as it says on uh, the cover of the, the daisies on the imdb a madcap feminist farce so we'll see what that's all about so Other than that, uh, I guess we can talk about what we've been watching and what we've been up to uh, in the last week. So I defer to you, Large William.
2: Okay. Uh, I've been watching white sand in aqua blue water (laughs) as the tide rolls in. Um, I've been watching my tan get better, but not as good as I'd like it to be because I have two young kids. So I (laughs) got to keep them shaded. Um, (laughs) What that all means, of course, is I was in Cuba like I've been saying and uh, I had a wonderful time and I've said on Facebook and other places and that's another reason to join Facebook you know not not just for this but this is an example I posted a bunch of pictures and you know it's it's just great to you know have everyone kind of chime in and stuff so but it it, uh, it was a fantastic trip I can't recommend it enough to anyone who can go there the people are beyond wonderful. Um, you know, we went right downtown Havana with our two young kids, and you know, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say I was kind of mentally preparing for it because you know I'm, I'm downtown and in, in essentially a third world country um, right. with two young children, and you know, not once did I ever feel the slightest bit threatened or or uh, like I had to be aggressive or or anything. Um, because people are wonderful, the country's incredibly beautiful, a lot of great architecture, a lot of great culture. Um, so yeah, anyone I would uh, that can can go to Cuba, check it out, and hopefully in a few years, and this is what it sounds like uh, when Raúl, I believe it is, takes over full time. Uh, that's that's going to be coming down the pipeline for you guys too. So
1: nice. I'm going to uh, get the like I told you. I'm going to get the uh, pencil thin mustache grown. <coughs> I'm going to get the white uh, fedora, Hawaiian print <laughs> shirt, little some khakis. Yeah. Not to not to throw any stereotypes in there or anything.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I know it. Uh, it yeah. I recommend uh, even if you don 't have a pencil thin stash it's you 're welcome with open arms
1: unfortunately, a pencil thin stash would actually require more grooming than I would want to do, so yeah because I grow one of those uh, I grow one of those caterpillar type stashes, so you know <laughs> one of those guys
2: <laughs> yeah yeah no no, no doubt, man uh, but in terms of films i didn 't get any in over there. I wanted to try to get to a theater or something, but again, it was tough with the kids and whatnot but right. since I got back i 've gotten three films um. Uh, That was uh, the first one I watched was one from a... It was part of a gift, actually, Teresa got me. Um, It's from a series called Film Movement. And what this is, is they're um, a label that that takes uh, film festival films, be it foreign or domestic. And um, if you're a member of the Film Movement Film Club, you get these movies about four to six months, or even sometimes more than that. Uh, on DVD in your home before anyone else does. So it's kind of a cool twist for people like us. Uh, the mm-hmm. first one I got was called Colors of the Mountain. It's a Colombian film. It's kind of like Stand By Me, uh, if there were more uh, military, like gorillas, and instead of finding a body, they find that their soccer ball is stuck in a minefield. Oh. So it's, it's good, but I think... Uh, you know, the director has a real eye. There's some, some great shots in the film and a few great moments, but the film should have uh, resonated more um, emotionally, and I think there's a disconnect. And even my wife noticed that. You don't feel sometimes what you should. So uh, good debut film, but um, not not great. Right. Um, next up, I watched one that I was bitterly disappointed with and I really didn't like it all, and that was The Adjustment Bureau. Ah, uh, yes, the...
1: The uh, Inception-born supremacy light, it looks like to me.
2: What it turned out to be, I didn't watch a trailer, but here's what I knew. I knew Philip K. Dick had wrote this story, and uh-huh. I knew Matt Damon was in it, and I knew it was sort of a, it, what, what I'd her- assumed based on you know not seeing a trailer and just sort of minor snippets online was that it was kind of sort of a shadowy man in, in fedoras and kind of a peculiar type uh you know, thrillery stuff from the seventies, political kind of paranoid stuff. And what I got was, uh, it was that, but really it was the notebook dressed up as that with a dash of dark city thrown in. Um, huh. I, I just, I, which was awful. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, between this and source code, I, I guess that's what you get when you watch a lot of Hollywood films. Um, I you know just romance doesn't need to be the focal point of everything. It doesn't need to be in a film. I just I don't need a romance. And I know <laughs> I get it. You know they're trying to appeal to the male and female audiences and yeah and get everyone's ass in the seats. But in the end, it cancels itself out for me. And and uh, it's too bad. It just it became. It, I don't know. I just I was not fucking impressed with it. Yeah, yeah. No.
1: Um, I don't have any. I really don't have any interest in seeing it. So if I ever watch it, it'll be one of those you know record off cable TV type things. If I ever get around to it, but. I'm not putting any energy toward uh, pursuing it. Let's put it that way.
2: No, and you shouldn't. Um, You know, like I said, I hadn't seen the trailer. But I started to hear some good reviews and and the concept Mm -hmm. sounded um, fairly interesting. Um, And, you know, it's got this guy, uh, African-American actor, Anthony Mackie, who, who seems to be a pretty decent actor, but he does a lot of shitty films. And that's a shame. Hopefully he can. I think it's Anthony Mackie anyway. Yeah, he is Anthony Mackie. Um, but he does a lot of bad films, man. Uh, uh-huh. And then there's one other guy I like in it. It uh, he played um, uh, Matt Damon's because um, he's like a politician, so he played sort of for like his uh, his publicist, basically. Uh-huh. And uh, his name's Mike, I think it's Michael Kelly. I think he was the guy. He uh, he was the douchebag in Dawn of the Dead. Like, not initially the douchebag. He was the security guard. Oh, okay. Who kind of redeems himself? So he was pretty good in it. But uh, last but not least, uh, I threw one off a Netflix instant last night with my wife. That was um, uh, James Elroy's Feast of Death, oh. and uh, I thought it was sort of going to be like a what's his name Max, uh, the guy did True Crime or whatever that series Max something or other. Um, it, what it is is it's basically it's sort of it, it's weird because it doesn't really have a narrative thread. It's Elroy talking about his mother's unsolved murder, which I never knew and I thought was interesting. And, yeah, he, you know, yeah. was pretty open about it, propelling his career forward. Um, it focuses on the Black Dahlia case. Um, and then at other times it's just him with a bunch of uh, L.A. homicide detectives shooting the shit over dinner. Um, There's a really good interview
1: with him in uh, Mike White's book, that Impossibly Funky book. That's uh, He's really an interesting guy.
2: Really interesting, a lot more blue humored than I thought he was, oh
1: yeah yeah he he really, he's one of those kind of guys who really doesn't have a filter
2: <laughs> not at all man, not <laughs> at
1: all and more power to him you know if you can be like that in your life and if in your job i mean unfortunately i don't I have to put a filter on in my job but and a lot of us do, but if you get you know if you have a job some type of job that you can do and you don't have to have a filter and you can just live your life as you see fit then hell yeah,
2: oh yeah no but it was it was pretty interesting, I think the film and, and and of all people, fucking Nick Nolte shows up halfway through the homicide <laughs> interview to sit on it and look as, as kind of sort of rumpled as ever. And, yeah. You know, it was kind of bizarre. But just um,
1: grabbed his clothes out of the laundry basket, didn't even bother washing them, or drying them. No, you
2: know? I took them out of the bottom, threw them on. Yeah, you know. just sniffed
1: them first, you know, because you got to do it. Yeah.
2: Gave him a sniff; <laughs> it didn't smell too bad. So, but no, it it was good. But it, it again, it kind of cancels itself out because you don't get behind any of the threads enough because it doesn't quite give you enough of anything I mean it is emotional stuff because there's murder and you see some pretty brutal photos especially of the Black Dahlia case and and even of his own mother Mm -hmm. Um, and that stuff's pretty powerful but I think instead of kind of getting rising to like a crescendo it kind of just falls short of that because it's it's jumping in and out of those three things without a real sense of rhythm but still a very interesting watch and I would recommend it if someone wants something a little bit different and Wants a peek into Elroy's uh, psyche. So there you have it. Nice, nice.
1: Well, it's still a pretty good week, all things considered. You know, you're on the vacation yeah. stuff, still managed to squeeze in four movies, which is interesting because I squeezed in four, too. Since last we spoke, I squeezed in two more. So uh, so we, we evened out at four-piece, it looks like.
2: Oh, so, I did three. I did oh, three. Oh my, I thought you did four. I thought
1: I heard four in there.
2: No. Uh, three, I did uh, The Colors of the Mountain, Adjustment Bureau, and James Elroy's. Oh, uh, well, I probably talked the amount of four.
1: But. <laughs> maybe I'm going crazy. I don't know.
2: And happy Bladed Mother's Day, I should
1: say, to all the mothers <laughs> out there. Yes. On an unrelated note. On <laughs> <laughs> an unrelated note, yes. Uh, okay, so I watched four things. I'll get that out. And uh, I'll start with FUBAR, which was a film that you had you had mentioned to me that they were showing FUBAR 2 at Toronto International Film Festival last year, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I was like, FUBAR 2? You know, I, I didn't even know what this thing was. Uh, so it's one of these, this is one of these type of films that just kind of escapes, you know, even the, the biggest of film buffs, you know what I mean? And, uh, this one escaped me. It got through my fingers, the first one. So, you know, I saw you recommended part two for one week on our DVD picks. And for those of you who don't know, we do, you know, weekly DVD and Blu-ray picks over at our blog, uh, blog site. So definitely go over and check it out. Um, it's always fun to kind of see, and it's, it's any of us really, uh, usually typically it's me and Will and Roop, but... Occasionally somebody else might contribute, although nobody really has. But usually, but it's, Will. yeah, usually it's me and Will and Rupert, and stuff like that. So, but uh, you, so you, you suggested Fubar too, so I'm like, you know what, I'm going to watch this Fubar thing because you know here he is now. He's suggesting the sequel. He liked the first one so much. I knew you hadn't seen the sequel yet. At least I thought you didn't. I don't think I have f- not. No. no, but I knew you liked the first one, so I'm thinking, well. You know, here's a movie that a guy that I talk to almost every day or almost every other day or at least you know at least once or twice a week
2: for an extended yeah extended <laughs> time. for life
1: that likes this movie, so I'm gonna check this out so I checked it out and I really enjoyed it. I liked it quite a bit I mean I know guys like this uh still to this day sadly uh <laughs> <laughs> uh you know I mean these people exist I mean they just they never get past a certain phase of their life and uh, but this one what's really great about this one is it's it's a very very Canadian it reminded me a lot of. It, it's it's kind of like a very uh, overblown uh, like hardcore logo or something. Yep, it's it's a lot like that. Although it's not really about a band, it's more like about the fans of like a hardcore logo. <laughs> so uh, it, it was a lot of fun. You know, it, it's it's very goofy and very silly and so Canadian. But it's it it, it does point on a lot of things that happen kind of in your young the years after high school. If you don't really get motivated to do something, things like that. So it's very <laughs> it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of very quotable scenes in there. Um, I don't even know what to talk about next All these next three movies I really liked a lot One of them is going to surprise I think almost everybody But the other two probably not so much um, Okay I watched 13 Assassins finally I finally watched that And I have to say it is magnificent It is definitely worth your time Do whatever you can to see this film It's one of Mike's best I would say And uh, that's saying a lot We we talked about this off the air a little bit Me and you and I know I talked to some people on Twitter Um, you know, you got a guy here that's made 83 movies and, uh, you know, to say this is one of his best now is, uh, pretty amazing in my opinion. So, uh, it's just really, really impressive. It's really subtle. Uh, but then when it's violent, it's extremely violent. Uh, it's a little perverse in spots, which, you know, with Mika, you shouldn't be surprised with, but really I was amazed at how touching it was in some ways too, and how much it really motivated me. Uh, I mean, you talked about this off there and you and Chris talked about this on the air. Uh, you, know, you you know, your good guys are only as good as your bad guys are bad. And uh, this film has a great example of taking <laughs> the bad guy card all the way to the nth degree. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you, you really get motivated in this film. You really get pumped. So I'd be amazed if, if everybody that sees that film doesn't really like it. But I mean, I'm sure somebody's not going to dig it. But it's pretty great. Pretty damn great. All right, next I watched uh, Super Fights. <laughs> uh, now, Super Fights... Is interesting. It's directed by Tony Lung, And, uh, you know, he's an action choreographer, typically. I mean, I think he did Ip Man. And uh, some other stuff. Uh, he's got a hell of a filmography, actually. But he directed a few films. Uh, <laughs> which is interesting when you see this film. Uh, this film is up there. For me, this is up there with Parole Violators and Killing Zone and any of those films. I mean, this is just unbelievable. Screaming Dialogue. Zubaz Pants sunglasses mullets and even the mullet with the shaved on the side head you know the shaved on the side you know the bosworth yeah the bosworth look almost uh uh people getting hit with steel chairs like in wrestling matches it's it's amazing it's amazing and it's really got some great fight choreography and stuff uh i will talk about it more but i think you know we're going to be doing it on the show i'm pretty positive we're going to be doing it on the show pretty soon so (laughs)
2: i'll just hold off on that (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I I I was aware of super fights. Um, <laughs> yeah. but I hadn't had a chance to see it yet. So, yeah, I, well, I I can't wait to see it, man.
1: Nick had sent it to me and he was talking about, you know, oh, he sent it to several people, but he I got it too, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, I it's one of those things. This this genre of movies, uh, you know, lends itself very much to uh bad cinema's being entertaining and uh yeah, this is yeah. <laughs> this is... I, I, we'll talk about it more when we get around to it, but yeah, definitely me and you'll talk about it more once you see it.
2: And and for Cody, RVD is in it.
1: Yes, RVD is in it. That's right. He is in it. <laughs> yes. So are some other very obscure wrestlers, some uh, New Japan wrestlers, some very obscure people in it and stuff. So very interesting. Uh, I was looking through filmographies all night <laughs> tonight. Uh, okay, last but uh, certainly not least, this was a bit of a surprise for me. I put this film off because I'd always heard... Oh, I'd heard a lot of mixed things about it and stuff, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to really dig that movie, so I'll just kind of wait and see. So, as anybody that has a rental movie service knows, you build a queue, and you know, sometimes I don't, I don't check that queue for weeks, so I don't know what's coming. So I got uh, uh, Wall Street: Money Never Sleeps in the mail uh, today, and uh, I started watching it today because I had to, I had to work third shift tonight, so I had to take a nap. So I started watching it today to kind of, I was like, Well, if anything's going to put me asleep. Maybe it's going to be this movie. Um, now this movie, I really like this movie a lot until like the last 10 minutes, the last 10 minutes is, Oh man, it's so soft that it really, it really hurts my feelings. I mean, I usually don't care about that kind of stuff, but this one, this one kind of, it kind of broke my heart a little bit because I liked where it was going and then it just kind of punched me in the face. So, uh, but that being said, it is two hours and 12 minutes long, and I will say for at least an hour and 40, hour and 50 minutes of it, I, I found it just as entertaining as the first Wall Street.
2: So, Oh, wow. I think the first Wall Street's quite good. And I mean, yeah. as much as it's oversaturated and some people dismiss it, it's a really, really good fucking film.
1: Yeah, and it, it, this is the first time... I mean, I I think Shia LaBeouf's just fine. I think he's talented. I don't really care for his films much. Uh, he typically doesn't make movies I'm really very interested in, but this is the first time. I mean, I'm really seeing him act in this film and uh he's really good in this movie and of course michael douglas is really good he's pretty much the same as he always is uh, the girl carrie mulligan she's good in it and everybody's good in it and stuff i know eli wallach got a lot of buzz because he's in it and stuff but he doesn't really do much for me in the film and of course there's a cameo from charlie sheen which is hilarious now in retrospect uh, yeah in retrospect it's very hilarious uh but i like the uh i like the way it uh it sets itself up and i you know i thought it played fine you know it's definitely one of stone's best efforts in the last i don't know how many films he's made in the last uh, i don't know how many years but it's one of his better films he's made in the last i'd say five or six years anyway i don't know what he's made although i did like w quite a bit it was kind of odd oh josh brolin's in the film too yeah he's very good in the movie Oh, nice. So, I don't know. I mean, if it's, if you got some time to come, I mean, I wouldn't. maybe I wouldn't actively pursue it, and maybe it won't uh, tickle your fancy like it did mine, but, uh, you know, I dug it. I mean, I think it made a lot of good comments. Some of it's heavy-handed, but I thought it made some pretty good comments about, you know, modern society and, and greed and stuff, so
2: very interesting. I think that's one I'll watch. It'll be a good one to watch with the wife.
1: Yeah, yeah, probably. But it's just it's very there's very much relationship is very much key to it not to say that you have to have that to watch a film with anybody's respective wife but uh it's as much a dramedy is uh, not a dramedy a drama as it is anything and uh because it's well acted i think it's you know it really comes through but man i just I, i'll be curious if you ever see it just you know we'll, we'll talk about the end then and see what you, see how you felt but uh yeah that's how i felt about it so i guess that's everything that's everything we watch It's always nice to get a surprise like that, though, because I thought that movie would be terribly boring, and I would end up fast forwarding through most of it or something.
2: No, no, you're right. You're totally right, man. When you get one that just kind of comes out of nowhere to pleasantly surprise you, it's it is a pleasant surprise.
1: (laughs) That's what it is. All right, (laughs) all right. So we are gonna take a break. What do you want? We talked about this right before we start recording, but what are we gonna talk about first here? What are we gonna do here?
2: Uh, Let's do mm, Machine Gun McCain. Sounds
1: good. We'll do Machine Gun McCain.
2: like, I wish we had got the music for that. Then.
1: <laughs> 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 All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after this.
3: Are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like, whether it's music, movies, TV, or whatever you're into? Head on over to the Palaver.com forums. <clears throat> yes, yes, but, but forums but and message boards, boards are elitist
4: and, and archaic. <laughs>
3: Well, yeah, maybe if you're a asshole, Palaver.com is home to all your favorite podcasts. So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's Palaver.com. P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Woo-hoo!
1: Are back and uh, I just put out my joint. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, uh, that was text messaging while I was talking there. Sorry, apologies again. I'm out of control this morning. Um, ooh, interesting. Uh, anyway, I was talking about a little feature we were talking about off the air. Just pulled up a little something uh, never heard of. Anyway, a little something something. A little something something. Okay, so we are back. Uh, we're going to talk about Machine Gun McCain. I'll let you. You know what? i'll let you synopsize this one I, maybe i'll take the lead on this one i got more notes on this one so maybe i should take the lead on this
2: one i, I definitely have more notes yeah. on daisies i would imagine so then
1: i'll let you take the lead on daisies then. <laughs> okay because neither one of us really picked the well yeah I basically picked both of yeah, them actually yeah <laughs> basically you pick both of them but yeah. i'll take the lead on this one you want to synopsize
2: okay machine gun mccain um Even the Mafia calls him mister. That's the tagline, not the plot synopsis. Uh, Pretty great. I can't find it. (laughs) Fuck. Okay, basically what it is, it's a Eurocrime film um, directed by Giulio Montaldo, who's a decent uh, Eurocrime director. Uh, they roped together the package deal of Cassavetti's Falcon Rollins, mm-hmm. along with Eklund, Luigi Pastilli, and some other familiar faces. Florinda Balkan, it should be said, Tony Kendall, some other familiar faces. Um, for a Eurocrime film about Cassavetti's character, Hank McCain, who busts out of prison, um, is trying to pull off a heist at a casino, and uh, is going to rip off the mob, and he's going to use his machine gun, and, and that's the way it's going to roll. So. Uh, yeah, I picked this. Uh, it's blue, put up by Blue Underground. Uh, I believe it's the first Hero film on Blu-ray, which was The Hook. Neither um, one of us had seen it. So yes. what did you think? First of all, I mean, the only
1: th- first thing I want to say is uh, G- G- Giuliano Giuliano yeah. Montaldo. There we go. uh the only, I think, the only other film of his I've seen, I think I've seen Grand I mean, I'm pretty positive I have.
2: I have, and I own it. And it's funny because this is the same thing. Giuliano Montaldo can put together a great fucking cast. Yeah. Um, But when it comes to, uh, you know, actually the film being really exciting, I think he tends to drop a bit when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. The film he
1: did after this, uh, The Fifth Day of Peace, looks like it might be like a little macaroni combat type thing. It's got Franco Nero in it, so. Oh, nice. Might have to look into that. Uh, But, yeah, I think that's probably the the only thing, though, I think any of our listeners would even be close to aware of. I mean, I get... He had to be a real buff to find anything else. Uh, film called Control with Ben Gazzara and Burt Lancaster, and there's some other stuff in there. But he doesn't have a huge filmography. So, uh, but he's got a few films, so of, of interest. So we'll talk about it a little bit here. Yeah, so great cast. You're right, Cassavetes, Falk, Rollins. Obviously, you know they work together a lot. Cassavetes and Rollins being married, Falk being, I guess, basically Cassavetes' best friend or at least best working partner, one or the other. Uh, Luigi Pistilli in here. Uh you know, it's always fun to see him in any movie. Uh although I don't think I think he's a little underused in this one, but
2: all the Italians are underused, like Florinda Balkin and and him, certainly.
1: Mm. Yeah. They seem to be very underused and Britt Eklund, of course, is there for some you know, some uh some visual enjoyment and stuff and we get a few people like that. But and then there's a couple other character actors in there, but uh, you know, it'd be one of those ones you'd have to see a lot of these type of movies to know about but yeah, you know, the narration's really strange. Let me just get that out of the way right now. <laughs> the narration's really weird, man. <laughs> and I've never seen this movie. This is the first time I've seen it. So, um, uh, I thought I'd seen this before, but I had not. I think I might have seen another, uh, Eurocrime he did and got him mixed up. Uh, I think it's called In Rome, like Chicago or something like that.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, this guy really could rope in talent. Like, he also worked with Ingrid Thulin, who worked a lot with, uh, with Bergman. Mm-hmm. Um, Really strange, uh I don't know.
1: I think it's also called let me see here. Is this is this what it's called? Might also this is uh the Di Martino film that in Rome like Chicago I think it's Alberto actually, Di Martino? Yeah, I think it's also known as Bandits in Rome. Bandits in Rome.
2: I know Bandits in Milan is fucking excellent, but it's not him, it's uh
1: Yeah, that's the one in Rome like Chicago is also known as uh Yeah, Bandits in Rome. So there we go. It's also known as the Violent Four. And some other names, some other <laughs> names that sound just like every other Eurocrime film. But Alberto Di Martino. But anyway, yeah, the narration's really strange, and it really threw me off. I mean, it really threw me off immediately. I was like, wow, this, I don't, it's almost like that. It, yeah, have you ever listened to that feature on uh, DVD for people who are uh, blind?
2: Yeah. yeah,
1: it's almost like that. That's what it felt like. And yeah,
2: that's a good point.
1: Uh, it was really odd. I mean, really odd. And uh, it just kind of took me out a little bit. So I had to get back into the film. And, and, you know, I was sitting there thinking while I'm watching this movie, you know, movie, you know, what what a world we live in that, that you know, Eurocrime is on Blu-ray, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a good thing it is. But I, I think when stuff like High Crimes not even out on DVD yet, it's like, okay, what, what was the – I wonder what the – I think maybe Blue Underground thought because of the cast this would be an easy sell for them to dip their toe into the Eurocrime Blu-ray water.
1: I have to believe that that's mostly what it is. I have to believe that it's mostly just – you know, you got Cassavetes Falk, and and Rollins, who did a lot of films together in the seventies, or in the late sixties, early seventies, and and i th- I have to believe that, you know, they they put them together, and you know, either that or you know, is Lustig still running Blue Underground? Any?
2: Uh, as far as I know.
1: Yeah, and maybe he's just a huge fan of the movie. Sometimes he's just big fans of certain things, and he puts them out. So maybe he's a big fan of the movie. I don't know, but it's one of those things where you know you have to wonder where some of the stuff we've talked about on the show. You know, hasn't gotten the blu-ray treatment or as you just said there's some films out there that had not even been released on dvd yet so it's kind of amazing when you think about it but it's one of those things. you know cassavetes has a great face you know and he's he's got this great presence on screen and of course he's he's very politically incorrect in this movie but you know this was 1969 and and stuff and he, he has some funny lines in the movie uh and he's really a he's a, he's a hell of a bad dad let me put that out oh. there <laughs> he's a hell of a bad dad <laughs> Yeah, he is. Uh but uh you know, I mean, you know, he smokes cigarettes like nobody's business. He he always looked like a reptile or something to me, Casavetis. He's got this he's just got he's got bad guy looks, you know?
2: He does. He absolutely does. That's and great. he's yeah, it's weird how he, he kinda goes from in very intense to um just yeah, he's bizarre, bizarre.
1: Yeah. And it didn't take long for uh, Eklund to tell him she was in love. You know, that she was in love. You know, it usually takes a little bit more work, but, you know, this is, I guess, a Eurocrime movie. You got to keep it moving. So, uh, you know, didn't oh, take yeah. long. And I, I just was like, wow, here we go. Boom, we're, in, we're into this. Now, the one thing I can say about this movie is it's a very talky Eurocrime film. It's, uh, it's not bad. It's just, it, it's in a territory that it feels overdone. I now. It's very mob it's kind of mob based there's kind of like this conglomerate of mob guys that kind of set up the movie and stuff and and the the acting is good but it, it gets kind of mixed up in itself a little too much and sometimes when you want to get to the really good the scenes I mean it feels to me like there's a lot of stuff that could have been cut out uh not a whole lot but I mean because it's not a real long movie it's only I guess you know 90 something minutes or something like that but there's some scenes where I started to not care what these characters were talking about
2: Totally with you on that because it, he's not good enough to write dialogue-heavy films, and he seems to like dialogue-heavy films because the other one's got Edward G. Robinson, Klaus Kinski. Uh, it's got a couple other people in it too. Um, it's a heist film, and I think in Rio. I, I you know it's been a few years since I've seen it, but you'd think that just for those people alone and, and these people, it'd be enough to carry. But yeah, you just you literally stop caring. Yes. To the point where you start to get annoyed and you're like, oh, fuck, enough. Just get on with it.
1: Yeah, and you start getting annoyed with the characters, even like Falk. And Falk reminded me a lot of like uh, one of Pesci's uh, Casino or Goodfellas characters a little bit.
2: Yeah, he did. My <laughs> wife thought he was hunky in this, actually. <laughs> That's kind of weird. Well, hunky for him, <laughs> yeah. I should say. Never thought I'd ever
1: have a conversation where anybody thought Peter Falk was hunky. But hey. No, no, definitely not, man. <laughs> and it's I've nice heard I've some, some female, I know some women, including my mother, who thinks John Cassavetes was a fox.
2: I guess, I, I guess I could see, I think it's more I
1: think she of liked, the, yeah, I think she liked the bad boy, I know my mom liked the bad boy image, I mean, fuck, I knew my dad, so, there you go, <laughs> <laughs> I know that goes a long way with her, so. <laughs> so, there you go, but, uh, yeah, I mean, but I've never thought I'd ever have a conversation where somebody told me, uh, you know, good old Falky is, you know, at least, you know, good looking in some capacity, I guess he, at some point in time, he was a pretty good looking kid, but, uh, <laughs> You know, every time I see him, you know, he's so known as Columbo. And even if you've never watched the show, you know of Columbo. It's one of those things where an actor takes a role. It's almost like Telly Zavallas with Kojak, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I like Telly Zavallas a lot. I like him in all the movies he did and, you know, Eurocrime stuff, Dirty Dozen, all that stuff. But without fail, whenever anybody brings him up, they almost think of, you know, they almost think Kojak. You know, who loves you, baby? oh for sure so it's just one of those things where an actor gets so identified with a character like uh, i guess probably the most recent example would be like kelsey Grammer, for instance who's forever and always no matter what he does he's going to be Frazier, right so yeah so that's kind of the dangers of that but also that can be lucrative in some ways And i'm sure peter fox made a nice career off being colombo um the music is fine for morricone it, it's not his best stuff mainly it's mainly just a theme really it's not a whole lot of music
2: which is what I was singing. Yes, which is. Uh, what you were <laughs> it should misses, be said in case people yeah. wondering where the fuck that came from.
1: It misses a little without the musical, without the instrumental accoutrement ak- ak- that we might need for you to sing with it. But uh,
2: yeah, yes. I, I should have. If
1: I could have grabbed the music, I would have. But uh, no, it's pretty good. I mean, it's it's not bad. I like the theme more than I like the song. But uh, I mean, I like the the instrumental. I should say more than I like the, the song. It's one of those type of weird songs.
2: <laughs> it is weird, but <laughs> the instrumental is quite good.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not it's not upper tier Morcone, but it's still it's still pretty good stuff. Um I I do like how they 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 take the machine gun that's part of the story and uh they make it a part of uh Cassavetti's character's kind of psychosis. It's kind of like it becomes a part of him. So I like that you know that we got a film called Machine Gun McCain and you're waiting for this machine gun to pop up and then finally when it pops up it's almost like a relationship forms between him and this machine gun. Yeah. And uh, I really wish we could have gotten more of that because, I mean, that's one of the things I really liked about The American a lot, you know, was his kind of relationship with his work. And, uh, you know, I always like that kind of stuff, the minutia that, you know, these characters do. You know, if it's, uh, well, just to talk about something I did recently, watched recently, you know, blowout with, uh, you know, that minutiae of cutting and editing film or, or with, um, uh, you know uh, something else I watched recently, Taxi Driver, where it's you know creating an arm sling to pull a gun out of. <laughs> you know I'm always fascinated when when actors and directors decide to get into this minutia stuff because you know it's it's pretty, it can get pretty wacky and I I'm, I'm one of those kind of guys you know I can start researching something and then it gets out of control and next thing I know I've spent like three hours looking into one thing. Oh I know. So I become obsessed. So I kind of like that you know, but I just wish they would have had it more in the film, and and really. It feels, the film feels a little bit like the last Oceans movie, the, I guess, what was it called, 11, 12, I guess it was 13. 13. Yeah. It feels a little bit like that in some spots. Uh, well, it feels a little bit like all the Oceans movies, but it's kind of in that vein a little bit, you know, I mean, set in Vegas, and... Uh, I, it looks like it was mostly shot in vegas too didn't didn't you think so do you think it was italy I, I, posing for vegas maybe in some
2: spots I, I can't see it was i can't see it being italy posing for vegas some of that stuff and i love that uh that 60s vegas stuff with the marquees i think I that know. stuff looks fantastic and it really pops on blue
1: yeah and he's got some uh, some nice comments about the lights and the vegas you know town and oh definitely vegas is always great in cinema you know and you know that kind of element always brings a certain kind of character flaw out in any kind of character and and uh not that it's a bad thing i mean i've gone to vegas i've had a good time but i don't always you know put on my silver striped suit and walk around you know (laughs) looking for no exactly
2: (laughs) but i I think this was a time in vegas see vegas has become you know men and women wearing shorts and sweatpants which you know that's fine for those of us that like to wear shorts and sweatpants, but this was a time when it was more glamorous, which obviously lends itself more cinematically.
1: Yes. It was a time where you go to Vegas with a pretty girl on your arm or your wife and you're dressed up. It's a night on the town. It's these kinds of things, right? Nowadays, you're right. Nowadays, it's, uh, you know, fanny packs, (laughs) uh, you know, sweatpants. uh, If you're lucky, maybe one of those black shirts with a wolf on the front of it with some lightning in the background. yes, Something like that, you know, something like the FUBAR guys would wear. (laughs) Yeah. So, <laughs> don't be shitting your pants in my car. <laughs> so, uh, it, it's one of those things. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it is the kind of glamour. It's the, it's the Frank Sinatra era, Vegas. You know, that kind of ramblers, let's get rambling type thing, you know? Yeah. So, kept, you know, hoping Henry Silva would pop up. Actually, I really wish Henry Silva would have popped up. <laughs> it would have made the film a little bit more uh, motivational for me. So, Gina Rowland shows up in the film, but the problem is she doesn't really show up until... Oh, man, I want to say maybe 70, 80 minutes into the movie.
2: Yeah, and it's like a 99-minute film or something. Yeah,
1: so she doesn't show up to weigh on the back end. The problem with that is is the film really seems to get motivated once she shows up. Oh, absolutely. And me and you talked about this off the air a little bit. Really, the best parts of the movie is once her character is introduced, it really starts clicking. So, unfortunately... You get sixty minutes of him walking around, Britt Eklund, uh, You know, having some dinner. Blah blah blah. Peter Falk doing some boxing, which isn't very convincing. Uh, you know, it's a bunch of stuff like that, and it's it's not bad. It's just not. It doesn't have a good pace. That's really the biggest problem I had with this movie. I just I felt like it kept fading away for me, and that's a bad feeling. You know, when you watch these movies. First of all, you're going back in time to you know you're watching a movie that's you know I I don't know did I see J Scotch in here I thought I did see it at one point.
2: Uh, I'll have to look through my notes. Uh, if there is, I might have seen it. I don't know. Good point. I know I don't think. Oh, I don't know.
1: Maybe I not. Know. I think it was in another movie I watched. But anyway, it really kind of meanders in that middle part, and that's the biggest problem because when you got a heist film. Or a film where you got some men on a mission or making a plan and stuff. you got to make that middle section really good. You know the heist is probably going to be pretty okay. You know the setup can be pretty okay. Because that's when you're doing your recruiting or you're doing your character backgrounds and stuff. And in this you get a lot of Cassavetti's history. A lot of the setup of the mob conglomerate and all this stuff. But the problem I had with this movie was really the middle. The meat in the middle. I just never really felt like anything was really getting motivated in the middle. Until uh, Gina Rowland's character shows up. And, of course, I won't give anything away about what her character is about and everything else. But once she shows up, I, I really started getting into the movie. But unfortunately, by then, it's, you know, it's almost over. But I will say, you know, my last note for the film really is that, you know, I liked I liked the setup. I didn't like the middle very much. And I thought it really hurt the movie. But I did like the, the end of the film. I did think the end of the film was pretty good. So, I mean, I, I think I thought it was actually maybe the best part of the movie, really the whole back 20 minutes or so. So I really don't have much to say. I will say that, you know, we got this from Diabolic and it is a it is a beautiful DVD. I mean, a, a Blu-ray, I should say. It's it's just, uh, you know, gorgeous. It was just a really weird experience watching Eurocrime on Blu-ray. It was just like, the whole time I'm watching, I'm sitting there thinking that. <laughs> so yeah. it's one of those things, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, what else can they put out on Blu-ray? <laughs> you just
2: well, clear my throat on air.
1: <laughs> um, I, I keep hoping, you know, some label will come along and say, hey, you know, there's all this... Eurocrime out there. We need to remaster it all and put it all in HD. Trust me, it would sell. It would sell. People would buy it.
2: Yeah, it would. And It just has to be marketed the right way. That's what it all yes. comes down to. Yeah, yeah.
1: um, Alright, I'll go ahead and let you go.
2: Yeah, okay. So, yeah, the disc, Diabolic DVD, they were kind enough to get it to us. Um, there, are, you know, It's not chock full of features, but I wasn't really too worried about that. I mean, it's got a pretty decently length – is it even a word decently? <laughs> uh, decent length uh, interview with Montaldo. It's about, I think, 50 minutes or so. I don't know, something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's pretty good. I didn't watch yeah. all of it, though. I didn't get around to watching all of it.
2: So. No, he interviews like he writes dialogue. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, that but was, it's still – it's there yeah. if you want to watch <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> um, So, yeah. Uh, and then it's got, you know, the the, the usual interactive menus and <laughs> I think it's got a trailer, so but no, it's it's got that interview which is good. Um some of these notes I don't remember now because it's been about three weeks since I watched these films, but uh let me see. It turned down so I could yawn, man. I didn't <laughs> want to chewbacca it up on the air. Um nice. Early on in the film, uh, there's a pretty good car stunt with a windshield, I think. That's what I wrote. I'm trying to remember now if if that was something where someone went through a windshield or he was on the top of the car. I can't remember now, but it was enough for me to be impressed. So there you have it. Um, this is early in Eurocrime, in 1969. Uh, mm-hmm. I think 66 or 67 or 68, maybe. Carlo Lazzani did Bandits in Milan, which I think, uh, between that and High Crime, and all that 60s stuff feels a little different than the 70s when you get really grimy and gritty and nasty. Yeah. It be nasty. Um, yeah, it's quaint. A, it's kind
1: of, I mean, if you think about Italian genre films, it's really all that way because, like, the 60s, like the the Mario Bava, Gialli stuff, or essentially Gialli stuff from the 60s and late 60s, and then you get, you know, the Argento and that wave of Gialli, that all changes. And, of course, the Spaghetti Westerns all the same thing too, right? You think about Fistful of Dollars and then, you get to one spot in the west, which I think is sixty eight or so, and then by the time you end up in the seventies with some of those you know cutthroats and those things, you can really see in Italian cinema that 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 switch. And you're right in Eurocrime; you can see it too, where it's it's kind of quaint in the sixties. It's kind of like a little bit more. You know, I don't know if it, I don't know if it, I don't know if dark is the right word for the 70s stuff, but it's definitely Sleazy. Yeah, yeah, well, that might be the better word. Sweaty,
2: sweaty, and sleazy—just the way we like it. Yes. Uh, But, yeah, no, it just has a different feel, a little cleaner. Um, You and I talked about this off the air. Um, This is an American-set Eurocrime film. And, you know, it really it's an odd thing for me because it's nice that it feels familiar. And and if ever you were going to set a film um, in America as far as Eurocrime goes, um, you're going to have big sedans instead of Fiats and mopeds. Vegas would probably be the one because it's got the lights and it's it's different from ever anything Europe has to offer. Um, whereas New York, Chicago, or New York and Chicago, but you can get cityscape in, in Italy quite nicely. Right. Um, and I think that something gets lost in the shuffle uh, or the, the trip across the ocean when you get over to America. I just... I don't get behind it as much. I don't, you know, it's, it doesn't quite set my pulse racing as much. Like even when, uh, I've mentioned this before, my favorite um, Merrily film was one called From Corleone to Brooklyn, where he has to, uh, he has to take a prisoner, uh, like a mobster from Corleone, Italy to Brooklyn for a trial.
5: Uh-huh.
2: He's on a train and people are trying to fucking kill them. and. You know it, the stuff when they get to America, and you start to see the big, big blue police cars. It just, for some reason, it leaves me cold. And I love '70s, you know, cop stuff uh, from North America, but I don't know, man. It's just something. There's a disconnect when you say Euro crime. It just becomes kind of crime. I don't know doesn't quite work
1: i can understand that it's almost like it's almost like your dc heroes are in your marvel universe or something
2: yeah it's, yeah exactly that's probably a pretty good way to put it actually <laughs>
1: yeah it's like here yeah. i am i'm reading spider-man and all of a sudden superman shows up and he's like hey dude what's going on it's like wait a minute yeah,
2: yeah no you're right uh, that's a really a really good way to put it um as a matter of fact yeah but i have to wonder if uh, we've mentioned this falk Rollins and cassavetes if they were a package deal like if if, if cassavetes said i'll do your film because it meant he could make his own film with some of the money. But he also wanted to bring along Falcon Rollins for a little Vegas vacation.
1: Right, and I, I probably should have uh, preface some of my talk with about that. I mean, I always assume that everybody you know pays as much attention to movie stuff as me and you and several other people do. But the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of people might not know Cassavetes was kind of like a modern-day Orson Welles. He liked to make movies, but he'd have to show up in other kinds of movies that were of a different quality to you know get money to make movies because nobody would make the kind of movies he was making he couldn't get money most of the time so that's why a lot of the same people were in his films and they were very do-it-yourself and and uh you know might have led to his early death really but uh you know he had to work hard to get money to make movies so this is probably one of those projects where he went over and and made a few few little coin did a couple eurocrime films and you're probably right he probably did get a package deal out out of it and probably said you know he probably pretty much demanded it and that's why everybody else, like Bastille and them, kind of take a back seat. I mean, literally to the point to where I think Bastille pretty much sits in the back seat of every car he's in. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. No, it's true, man. It's true. Speaking of back seats, uh, there's something for the ladies in here with some some sudsy falk cheeks, if I remember correctly. Oh, Lord. He's getting out of the bathtub, man. He, uh...
1: Is that when your wife thought he was hunky? Because I don't know, man.
2: <laughs> uh, maybe so. I mean, you know, I never thought I'd see... Uh Colombo or Danny DeVito's bare ass and I've seen both now so it's kind of a strange thing <laughs> yes <laughs> um, I like how uh, uh, when Cassavetes gets out of prison because he gets sprung from prison his son comes and gets him out he's a grown man he's like in his early 20s how so he kind of sticks his head out the window like a dog and he's just feels the air on him and it's kind of a good moment that something only a, a real good actor could kind of throw in like I can't see that being in the script um yeah, but I can see Casavetti's being someone who loved improvisational stuff, throwing in that that I think really works, and you know you can kind of feel the character was locked up for a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the guy that they got to play his son in the film looked a lot like him, so kudos on them on the on central or on casting for that.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: that he looked like him.
1: He again. needed a um, I mean, he needed a haircut, <clears throat> but I got to remember it's nineteen sixty eight, sixty nine. So
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. Some of the San because it initially it starts out in San Francisco, and that, some of that coverage is pretty nice. I think you get the Golden Gate Bridge, you get some other stuff. You know, San Fran's another city that you know looks great on film, especially at that time, '60s and '70s. And speaking of cops, I mean, Bullet, Dirty Harry, you know, on and on it goes. Um, I gotta say, you know, as an aside, I love love late '60s or or, or or through the '60s, early to late '60s suits. They're just they just look so perfectly tailored.
1: Yeah, yeah, they got that nice streamlined look.
2: They just look fantastic, and every time I buy a suit, I have to say this is a little peek inside my mind. I always uh, think of like a, a '60s suit, like something that um, you know. Uh, sorry, my my uh, my earphones keep cutting out here on me. This is fucking uh, <laughs> on one second, a little technical difficulty. It's <laughs> <is> lovely. Uh,
1: <laughs> uh,
2: Right. So anyway, suits. I was just saying that um uh you know, when I th- when I go but I go to buy a suit nowadays, I can't help but think of Marcello Mastroianni and then try to aspire to rock a suit like him and I don't quite pull it off, but you right. know can always try. Another great example
1: um, of sixty suits is uh the original Oceans Eleven. Those guys walking around. Oh man, big time. You'll see some suits. Even Silva rocking the tailored suit.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's some really great, uh, purple and orange kind of Southwest, uh, there comes, comes the
1: yawn again,
2: boy, like, I'm you know, I'm yawning <laughs> like a motherfucker. Um, but the, when, cause when they get out to the desert and they're in, they're in uh, Nevada, this is before the, the urban expanse kind of pushed right out. Um, I love, really loved like those purple and orange kind of skylines looked fantastic in Blu-ray. You know, it's little things like that that you really appreciate Blu-ray, right? that those light the bulbs popping in the marquees, the skylines.
1: Yes,
2: yes. So um, uh signature move in this is something I call the Praise Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's when you see all these uh, evangelists, when they would put their palm of their forehead on someone's hand and push them away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he does that a few times in this. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's uh, his special move. That's how badass he is.
2: Yeah, it's exactly. One thing he's not very badass with, though, is kissing. And he certainly would never be mistaken for Kissavettis.
1: <laughs> John Kissavettis.
2: Kissavettis kiss- yes. cannot kiss.
1: I have to say that I think one of the weaknesses of Italian cinema in general for me has always been the kissing aspect. I- I've talked about this before when we did, like, Cutthroat <laughs> 9 and stuff. These fucking guys don't know how to kiss a chick, man.
2: <laughs> no, they don't, man. They just they don't. It's... Uh...
1: You know, I know it's supposed to be aggressive, but come on, man. You don't have to be, you know, just opening your mouth all over their face.
2: Or keep it so tightly closed that, you know, you couldn't even, like, put a corner of a piece of paper in there.
1: Yeah. And you can always tell, like, I always feel like you can tell when actors don't really like each other because, you know, I watch how they kiss each other. And I'm like, if they, you know, if they do the real tight lip kind of three-fourth angle kind of kiss on camera, then I know for sure that they're not really, they're probably not really getting along.
2: Yeah. Oh, Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I already mentioned this—the '60s kind of Vegas thing versus sweatpants at the Baccarat table. So <laughs> I don't need to go over that again. Nice. Um, there's a South Korean film from I think 2002, 2003. Um, it's called Guns and Talks, and my running joke with it is that it should be called Talks and Talks.
1: Yeah.
2: And and this is kind of like that. Like it's it's just um, it just it's very talky, and you and I already touched on this where. The dialogue's not sharp enough or snappy enough for it to be talking you not to mind. It's, you know, I mean, he goes and gets he gets married to Eklund, which we talked about. Um, unfortunately, didn't feature uh, a seduction scene where she was naked and seducing him through a wall. Yes, <laughs> you know, if it had featured that, it might have been a little more interesting. But she did get married. It f- seems very uncharacteristic, even for Hank McCain in, in a Euro crime film, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, there was no JMB. Okay. Because this is the note I wrote: Cavassier, Hennessy, Cuddy Sark, no JMB.
1: Ah, the Cuddy Sark, though.
2: <clears throat> Good old, I think that's what you you mistook for the JMB because it has that yellow label.
1: Yeah, I could have. I'm, I'm aware of the Cuddy Sark.
2: Good old Cuddy Sark. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so you know, finally, you know, 45 minutes in, halfway into the film, uh, McCain becomes titular, and by that he gets the machine gun that you talked about. Yes. He mows a couple dudes down. So. Um. Yeah, and those guns, it's funny, man, those are so prevalent in most Eurocrime films by the time you get into the early 70s with bank robbers shooting up a crowd and, and stuff like that. It's so funny that it's very spare in this one. Yes. Um. You know, we talked about the Italian cast being underused, and I already mentioned her, but one of the main things I was most excited about this film was uh, Florinda Balkan, who is one of my favorite Actresses who was not Italian, to the best of my knowledge, but she worked in Italy quite a bit. Um, I just love her. I think she's she's a fantastic actress. But, man, her hair in this, it's like 80s Texas cattle ranch, your wife's hair.
1: <laughs> it really is, man. It just screamed like uh, Oil Tycoon's Wife.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, it's fucking humongous. You know, it's really great, but she doesn't get enough. She really is wasted, just utterly wasted in the film. And I would have loved to have seen uh, a scene where she got to kind of duke it out uh, in terms of acting chops. Like one of those scenes when you kind of get, um, you know, actress, actresses you like together kind of uh, almost like a tennis match going back and forth with yeah. her and Gina Rollins. I would have loved to have seen that. Right. That would have been great. She's actually Brazilian, it should be said. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you know, uh, her hair is only the only highlight they give her. And that's unfortunate because she's really great. Um.
1: I couldn't even remember who she was, and then you said her hair, and I was like, oh, I know exactly which character you're talking about.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, she's fantastic, man, but she uh, just utterly wasted. Um, I can't remember his name now, but the main Don, who has the pencil-thin stash, he's kind of like, you know who he was kind of like was Wayne Newton's character, um, uh, Julian Randall from... uh, (laughs) Ford Fairlane. Uh, you know that yeah. guy in this one?
1: Yeah, I know that guy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty good though actually, man. He was sleazy and unrepentantly sleazy and
1: <laughs> Any you know. any guy named Julian, you know that guy's a bad guy. Yeah. And he got picked on a lot growing up. They probably called him Julie. You know. Yeah. That 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 kid had it rough. He's going to grow up and be a badass motherfucker. Maybe not as badass as Wayne Newton, but badass no. nonetheless. <laughs>
2: Actually, the only Ju, there's only two cool Julians I can think of: uh, Julian Schnabel, yeah, and isn't uh, Julian the singer from The Strokes? Julian, or maybe no, I'm not positive on that. Yeah, I don't know. But Julians, yeah, no, no offense to any Julians listening out there, but <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it's it's one of the last names I'd want to give my son. Yeah, um, but again, I'll, I'll do respect, of course. <laughs> if you can work the name Julian, you're a better man than I. Yes. Um, Yeah, so I I said I would like to have seen Balkan and Roland kind of duke it out. But even to see like a cat fight between Balkan and Eklund would have been fun. Agreed. Eklund also, I mean, listen, Eklund is what Eklund is, and that's arm piece more than anything. But, you know, she's even kind of wasted a little bit in this uh, as far as what she has to do. Yeah, I think Um, she's pretty wasted.
1: I think she's actually almost completely wasted. The only thing I really remember of her character is just the fact that she's just there. Mm-hmm. She never really feels like she has any substance whatsoever. She's just there,
2: and if she wasn't beautiful, um, you would have forgot she was even there to begin with. Yep. And and that's you know like I said, listen, she's not a, an incredible actress, but she is beautiful and she does have uh, some presence. And you know we remember her in in Wicker Man certainly. So I think there was there was a way they could have had her be a little more memorable. So, uh, but yeah, Roland shows up far too late. Um, she adds a you know an immediate gravity and and skill to the film, a, a passion, and emotion. She's, you know, this damaged, bruised kind of character, and it's just too little, too late. But those are all my notes.
1: Yep. All right, my uh, make-or-break. I'm going to say, really, it's this one when Roland shows up. Uh, of course, the scene with her when she first shows up is pretty great, but I like all the scenes with her a lot more than I like just about anything else. And It's really my kind of make-or-break scene is when she pops into the film. She really brings an energy to it that I felt like, it was really missing up until that point uh my mvt i'm gonna go with Rollins. i think she's pretty great in this movie man it you know you can see some of the stuff she you know went on to do and she's really really kind of just pulls the whole thing together and uh, it, it's weird because like i say she's only in the film i don't know uh 20 minutes or so so and he, roughly at that she's only really in the 20 minute section i doubt she's even in the film 20 minutes I mean, she gets an and credit, right? I think of the, she's the last one. In the title it's like and Gina Rollins or special I'm guest a, Gina Rollins or something yeah, like
2: that. Yeah, I believe so.
1: so. It's one of those things. All right, uh, my score for the film I'm going to go six point two five. I think it's a good movie. Don't think it's a great movie. Uh, the blu rays nice. nice. Uh, it looks good and stuff, but it's it's just it's just not there completely for me. It was just uh, a little too much boredom for me in some spots, but other spots I really enjoyed so. That's my thoughts on Machine Gun McCain.
2: There you go. Uh, make or break. What broke, I don't want to say broke, well, I, I could almost go with the scene when Roland shows up, but what keeps this from being a real knockout of the park is the fact that it doesn't really have a, a defining or a signature scene. Most films, when you, um, you know, you talk about them, you want to talk about a certain scene, and with this one, there isn't really a scene like that.
1: No, it's, I mean, that, that was. that's kind of the genesis of the make-or-break scene. It was, you know, conversations we were having of, you know, when you talk about movies, you tend to talk about, like, one or two or three scenes. You don't always talk about the whole movie. This movie doesn't have, you're right, this movie doesn't have that moment where it's like, oh, yeah, remember that one part? There's no moment like that in this film.
2: No, exactly. Exactly. Um, MVT is Rollins. I agree with you. Uh, my score is a 6.5. It's just slightly above yours. Um you know uh, and that's it there you have it you know a good film certainly definitely worth everyone checking out but um, don't expect upper echelon Eurocrime
1: yeah yeah I would definitely I mean you know especially fans of the genre I think they'll find it very interesting but it's yeah it's definitely not upper echelon All right, uh, that's our review of Machine Gun McCain we're gonna take a short break come back and talk about Daisies So, from 66, we'll be back right after this.
0: This is Alyssa from Big Red Podcast, inviting you to listen to our show about pop culture, TV, and cool stuff that we talk about every week. Right, Derek? Well, you know you love it, and we talk about it. And if you haven't been listening, here's what you've been missing out on. And by a lot, I mean, there are several shows to talk about, none of which were especially good.
4: You know, it seems mostly, uh, what I'm learning is a lot of things to take a lesson from One Tree Hill, and I never thought I'd say that.
0: He also has a magnificent head of hair. Yes. thank you. Naked Viking, whatever. And, as with Lost, the flashbacks aren't
3: interesting at this point <laughs> uh i'm just hoping that uh it won't break my heart like heroes
0: like punch a dinosaur in the face
3: yes oh, the yeah. mother They're was was other. insane and bizarre and apparently high i'm guessing
0: i learned I mean, a lesson today
1: about karma
3: the man who can't feel pain shouldn't be dealing with hot liquids and whatever right here old man and why are you not winning
0: so, listen to Big Red Podcast if you like TV and junk on TV, because we totally watch it and talk about it. So, you don't have to. Find us at bigredpodcast.com or check us out in the iTunes store.
1: You could could hear the needle drop on my my vinyl there on that track. I love it. (laughs) You could hear me
2: playing the wooden blocks in that
1: song. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) With the black tank top and the Canadian belt buckle. (laughs) Yeah, big ups to Mike for
2: a great photo. (laughs) Yes. Pretty
1: good stuff. Uh, Okay, uh, so our next film is Daisies from 1966. Uh, This is a film I'd heard of, I'd never seen. Uh, So... Uh, you picked it and I was like, Wow, let's uh we see what this is all about because I've heard mixed things. Some people, you know, call it a masterpiece, some people call it whatever. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't know what I was in for. So I'll synopsize this and I'll let you uh take the lead on this one. Uh this is from sixty six, directed by let's see if I get this right. Vera shit chitlova. Chitlova?
2: Vera ch- Chitlova, yeah. That sounds right. Shitlova. F em- emphasis on the ch versus the
1: sh- <laughs> <laughs> Shitlova,
2: <laughs> the shitloaf. Yeah, that's we've descended this poor, you know, great yes. Eastern Bloc feminine director right into
1: the <laughs> right into the shitloaf. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry about that. Uh, not that she'll ever listen to the show, and if she did, yeah. she'd probably call it a shitloaf. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so we got that going for us. Uh, okay, so this is uh, the synopsis. Is basically, the life of two girls, Marie One and Marie Two, who try to understand the meaning of the world and of their life. And that's actually a really good synopsis for this film. So uh, let's hear what you have to say about Daisy large William.
2: Yeah, so this is why this was one of the films that put me... Because, you know, Diablock DVD approached us and we had to mull it over because uh, we've already had some other commitments. Um, but this was the kind of film that I saw in their filmography or their, their, uh, their catalog. And I thought, you know what? This looks like a company that's worth getting into bed with because... You know a lot of this Eastern Bloc stuff um, I haven't seen, and I've wanted to see, and they got a, a decent amount of it. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, this is a this is a Czechoslovakian film when when Czechoslovakia was still called Czechoslovakia. I've said that three times in the past ten seconds, which is more than I ever thought I would. Um, it's from 1966. It was a very different time uh, in that uh, region of Europe. Um, Vera Chaitlova. Chaitlova uh, <laughs> She went to prison for this film.
1: Yeah, that's not a laughing matter. I'm just laughing at the way you you stumbling on her name again, trying not to say Shitlova.
2: Trying not to say the Shitloaf, yeah. Um, and, you know, she she clearly is someone... You you had to be very subversive and um, careful about what you put into your film and how you put it in and still got your message across. It should be said, the cover that, that they have on IMDb is a really unfortunate cover. Yes. It makes it look really, like... No pun intended. Very shitty. It just it looks very dull. It's like this tie-dyed hippie nonsense. Yeah, um, that's what it looks like. It's just a really crappy cover. Um, so she she you know this is when when you know people clearly they were very passionate about the art because she was willing to go to prison mm-hmm. to make this film and there, this this is a disc that uh, has a lot of nice stuff on it has an interview with her a documentary actually on on her mm-hmm. um, which I so did I mean, watch is incredibly interesting it was it was very interesting. Yeah, no, for sure, man, for sure. Uh, I got to see some of it before I went away, so not all of it. Um, so you know, I think that's very interesting to, to see that that's uh, you know, it wasn't just someone made a film for a studio. There, there's a lot more passion to this. So. Yeah, Czech New Wave. This is the first Czech film we're gonna do. Probably not the last. Um, I saw the trailer for this, and it looked almost like an Eastern Bloc feminist houseu in terms of its sensibility and style. Like, kind of that throw everything in in terms of style and uh, you know some of the the different techniques and methods they used in the in the film. Yes, everything.
1: I I think one of my notes was uh, it reminds me a bit of like like a like a 1966 version of like Natural Born Killers, not as dark. But you remember, like, Natural Born Killers, that stone throwing, like, every trick in the book into one movie.
2: No, you're right. Or, or like, How Sue, which is another good example. How Sue or Hell's a Poppin'. Like, I'd love to do a triple bill with with, uh, How Sue, Hell's a Poppin' and this.
1: (laughs) That'd be pretty crazy.
2: (laughs) Just film gets deconstructed. It's it's pretty incredible. So, yeah, I mean, this opens with, I think, a very obvious uh, visual kind of metaphor when it it talks about... um, or it has opens with kind of the cogs in the machine turning, and it, it you know it cuts in with shots of war and stuff, and and uh, you know again you know it, it's it's subversive but still obvious enough that you know what's going on, you know just uh, as far as with communism it's it's certainly about everyone versus individuality, so it, you know it shows the cog in the machine and and that turning and the big war machine turning and and yeah this was a time when let's face it you know we talked about this with the the 60s and we've talked about hippies a little bit um this is a time when, when the world was changing and 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 uh you know everything was starting to kind of change in terms of the way that people thought and, and yeah. it was coming up above ground instead of saying underground yeah, and every, so, everything
1: felt like a little you know art and music and everything felt a little dangerous
2: it did it was a yeah certainly a time when change was in the wind um so, yeah, the two Marias, or Maries, I should say, um, they kind of, it, it, the film starts, once they actually get in the film, it starts with them, and they're almost like marionettes, and they start moving, and it has this sound like they're like these creaky little dolls, right? Like this makes this wooden creak noise, and they kind of say, like, in robotic kind of doll voices, we can't do anything, and it, it's very tongue-in-cheek, and I think that's where the whole feminist thing comes in, because not only is this film, I think, a commentary on... on um, communist society at the time, or the oppression of communist society, but um, the oppression of of uh, the female in a communist society, which is even more so. Mm-hmm. And it really hits on those two things a lot in the film. And, um, yeah, see, this film, because there's a lot of odd shit in it, I'm going to look at some of these notes and think, what the fuck does this mean now? Um, <laughs> because I have here insert hopping bunny number in.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of hopping and there's some it's it's very much like how Sue you bring that up it's very much like that uh, because there's a lot of uh, I'm I'm liking your Vin Diesel electric boogaloo breakdance link. <laughs> oh yeah, that's wicked. <laughs> I had to click on like. There's no love button as I've said so many times before. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, no, there there is there's like a there's a hopping moment and there's some some jumpy editing and. Uh, stuff like that. So I know what you're talking about because I remember thinking, Jesus, this is just odd and, at first. And then, you know, as I get to know these characters more and more, you realize that they're they're kind of like two – they're almost like two infant children in a way.
2: In some ways, they're the, they have this glint in their eye and they're this kind of devilish kind of um, mischievous nature uh, about them. I know what it was. Yeah, the film does cut a lot between time and space and mm-hmm. – you know it jumps around and stuff and oh, this, i think it this, really,
1: if you're if you if this was well i mean if people were doing acid and watching this movie this movie was a dream i mean this yeah. movie would bend your brain
2: yeah oh no for sure
1: because the real for strength sure. of the movie is is it's visual i don't think its narrative is very strong i don't think it needs no. to be though because i think it's a visual piece more than. and, it,
2: and i don't think it's trying to in its defense yeah. it's, it's just trying to get up some ideas out there with style and I think, you know, listen, I'm not an expert on politics or political systems, you know, I have a foggy notion of what different political systems mean, Um, but I can tell you that when you have a film made in a communist country that, um, more important than a strong narrative, uh, it's important to get your ideas out there and to convey them and there's an energy and a vibrancy to these ideas being put on film. that I think trumps the need for a conventional narrative, as you'd see in most films. Right, right. You know, this is a feminist in, in '60s Czechoslovakia, so you know it's it's a little different than uh, you know having a, a strong narrative, certainly. But you're right; the visuals are really make this film
1: mm-hmm.
2: what it is. Um, you know, we even see you know a lot of stuff like the women assuming kind of different roles through their dress. There's times when they act a certain way when they're dressed one way versus another way. And I, listen, I got to tell you, man. They're both called Marie, unfortunately, but the one with the darker hair, man, I fucking loved her. The one with the gap in her teeth.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah I thought about oh, you. a fox. Wow. Yeah, I really dug her, man. And in fact, I went to her, um, <laughs> her filmography and decided there's only a few other things, none of which I'll probably ever get my hands on.
1: Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with the history of the GGTMC, we've talked about gap-toothed women before. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the gap-toothed woman. Uh yeah, this film called Flam. <laughs> this one I'll never see. She's in that. I think uh, it's unfortunate. I, I like
1: both the girls. They, there's some. They they could be obnoxious, uh, but there's something kind of adorable about their their nature. And of course, it's a very. It's also a very sexy movie. We should say it's very sexy in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, not over the top sexy, but because uh, there's no real nudity. I don't think it's just like it's almost like almost saw type stuff. Mm-hmm. Like whoopsie, ooh, almost saw that. It's yeah, that, it's that yeah. kind of stuff you know uh almost like british nudity in the 60s and stuff like oh you know something standing in front of something or like the like the beginning of an austin powers movie or something but oh, exactly. uh but uh you know the, there's something very sexual about the girls and and of course you know the nature thing and them and there's also something i have to say and maybe it's this is just me uh i'm gonna see if you get this out of this but this is definitely uh something i got from the film but there's also something very sexual about the way they eat
2: Yeah, but I think, too, this was a time when people were lining up for bread and you see a lot of decadence, and there was a lot of complaints about the wasted food in this film near the back end, which you look at it now and you think, wow, really? But this was a time when, you know, food was in short supply.
1: Yeah, and decadence and, you know, sexual feelings are kind of go hand in hand, right? I mean, because, you know, Uh you never feel more decadent than you do when you're really, as they say in bar, when you're really giving her, you know, (laughs) You know, so uh, you know, but I feel like the way they're eating and stuff, it's almost pornographic. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad type of pornographic. Pornographic uh, that I'm talking about. It's very, it's very, it's it's not so much erotic like a nine and a half weeks type thing as much as it's just it's so compulsive, uh, like an addiction almost. Because they, everywhere they go, they try to eat, you know they they want to take advantage of the nicer things, the drinking, the smoking. All of these things. I mean, every, every time I, when I was watching this movie, I, went, I never wanted a cigarette and a beer so bad in my life. No, I know. It's one of those, one of those type things. I kept thinking, Jesus. And then they start eating cake, and I'm like, God damn, I'm a fat son of a bitch. I need to eat some cake. <laughs> I love cake. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. Who doesn't, man?
1: <laughs> Who doesn't? Some don't. My wife don't. So... Lucky for oh, that's her. Interesting, yeah. yeah but exactly. even, but even luckier for me because I <laughs> mean, somebody gives us a cake, I got a whole cake. You yeah,
2: had to throw it down. Yeah, it's it's always like a race with me and my. Well, my wife likes cake more than I do. I'm more of a salty snack guy. She's yeah. more of a sweet snack girl. It's like
1: so. you know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want it to go to waste. Will you know how it is?
2: Hey, man, I know my wife. That's what she says, man. That's always her excuse. Well, I didn't want it to go to waste. It was drying out. Yeah, there you go. You know, and, and I eat a bag of Doritos in one sitting, and you know, call it even. Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually not one sitting that's a little too much even for me yeah that's a lot, um, that's a lot
1: of doritos how did it give you a high five on that one a high cheesy five on that one yeah
2: there's a lot of fucking powdered cheese on your hands after that one. Oh
1: man oof um my son to, to divert from home, my son is into cheese puffs right now
2: oh yeah they got those kids ones that yeah are like zesty tomato and- oh
1: yeah yeah he's into those the only problem is man he eats them and it's a mess and then afterwards i'm holding him he smells like this cheese puff and i cannot stand that smell uh, oh, on yeah. on him, it just drives me nuts. I and mean, when wife talk about it. He so cheesy. His fingers, And even though we wipe them all off and everything, it's still there. You know, just like it's like when you eat Doritos, you got to wash your hands really thoroughly.
2: You do because it sticks. It becomes like a paste. <laughs> That's really yeah. disgusting. Yeah,
1: you, you get to see people's. I, I, I'll argue this to the day I day, You get to see people's true nature when they get to the bottom of a bag of potato chips of any oh, sort. Yeah. <laughs> That's when you know what kind of person you're dealing with.
2: That's true. That's very true, man. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so uh, with uh, with the daisies, I could keep thinking about that cheese paste now. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, with uh, with the two girls, you know, they, they're, they're busting a lot of guys' balls, but doing it in a very coy way um, – Throughout the film, a lot of it should be said. A lot of older, kind of bureaucratic, kind of men um, in suits and glasses, and you know, seem to have a few buckaroonies in their pockets. And uh, there's the one moment when I think it's one of the first dinner scenes or restaurant scenes when the Maries are having dinner with, with this older man, and and the one just kind of barges in on what looks like a date, mm-hmm. and uh, and the waiter says, "Well, sh- shall the young lady be dining tonight?" And uh, I think he says yes, whining as well, or just the delivery and the timing of it be, to rhyme the dining and whining because he's really given it to her. it, right. was, it was kind of amusing. Right. Um, I mean, they're eating everything. Or no, uh, the Daisy orders everything. She, you know, she orders rabbits, snails, um, all these big ticket items, and she's just cramming cake in her mouth. And again, I think it's kind of commentary on on a few things. It's commentary on on you know uh, the bourgeoisie, kind of this. Um, this excess and I think uh, the hypocrisy of, of higher ups at the time who were, were just wasting and ordering things excessively while a lot of the c- people in the country were lining up for bread and, and bare necessities um, so I think it's it's really fascinating to see from that point of view um, and you know you can say what you will about the film like I said but the fact that it does burst with those ideas and the energy in this repressed country I think really helps um you know helps to percolate the film and, and it just it, there's so many techniques thrown not you that you know it, it's at least interesting to see that especially in the the political context and the, the the context in terms of when it was made so um yeah and also you know if you want to really knock me out be a gap toothed girl that wears heavy eyeshadow
1: mhm yeah
2: <laughs> you know she rocks the heavy eyeshadow and I'm such a uh, just a sucker for dark eyeshadow right um, I used to date a lot of Arabic girls that wore really dark eyeshadow. Man, that's just kryptonite. <laughs> um, but uh, what does this say? Oh, again, uh, unfortunately, some of my notes I can't articulate them because I don't remember what some necessarily mean. But I guess there's a moment when uh, they have some. She has some. They have some roses because most of the scenes get back to them being in bed, kind of bored, and saying, "What should we do today?" and uh, I think they go, die, die. Oh, I think one of the girls got roses delivered to her by some poor sap. And uh, they're going, die, die, die. And they're, they're crushing these roses. And I think, again, it's it's maybe kind of commenting on, you know, at a time in a country like this that, you know, tend, there tends to be war and strife that a lot of organic beauty in a country tends to be destroyed childishly and, and naively and not naively but foolishly. Yes, yes. You know what I mean? Things uh-huh. get stomped out. uh, because people don't have the foresight to realize that you're really stomping out the beauty of a country. Um, it's interesting that they have this recurring train motif. That um, it, it's it's interesting because it's an overly kind of maudlin cinematic convention to have people departing on a train. It becomes very weepy. But it's I also wonder if there was more to that. Again, because of the the political uh, and societal stuff that that looms over the film.
1: Yeah, my one regret with this movie is is that. I don't know enough about the politics of the time of that country and that region. I mean, I only know the basics, so it would be foolish for me to sit here and start trying to say that she's commenting on this and commenting on that. But what I do know is, you know, it was oppressive, and I do know that. And I do feel like a lot of the stuff she's trying to say is is tied to that. And it's one of those type of movies, you know, it's art house disguised as commentary or a commentary disguised as art house is what I mean to say mm-hmm. and uh so for some people I think it's going to be a major turnoff. would you agree with that
2: so that last sentence again
1: for some people that would see this film oh. it would be a major turnoff.
2: yeah it, it would be for some I mean it's one of those things you know with us doing this show you know and I think with us as, as film lovers we try to expand our horizons and listen sometimes that's going to work and sometimes it's not going to work for people but um there are definitely some, some listeners of ours who aren't going to give a fuck about this film.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be zero to them or something else. And and I can understand that. Now, for me, art films like this are, are as much, quote-unquote, midnight cinema as anything else we watch. Uh, because this is the kind of film that, you know, you would see in a midnight screening type situation. That's right. And uh, maybe you'd be in a crowd that would, would have some more people who, you know, are a little bit more... I don't know. Uh, a little more uppity, uppity about their film criticism. A little snobbish, maybe. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, though, you're going to get guys like us who you know would show up at the movie like this as much as we'd show up at uh, you know a screening of Rambo Part Two. That's right, man. So you know, I mean, and I, I think it's it's going to be different. I'd be curious to you know some of our regulars and, and and everybody that listens to the show. I'd hope that they all pursue this film. Uh, I'd be curious what some people thought on it. There's some films we review that, you know, some people never call in about. There's some that we review that I know a lot of people are going to call in about. Uh, this is one I'd be curious what people are going to think. I know, I believe Mike White, I believe he's a big fan of this movie, actually. I could see that. So uh, that's the only one I know for right now, but I don't know if anybody else has really seen it. So just curious. I'm just kind of thinking out loud there because as you're talking. So
2: I think maybe Phil has, Phil from Syracuse.
1: That's totally possible. He, he's watched 300 movies already, so. He might have watched it twice this year, for all I know.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. There's um, that one strange moment where it looks almost like they were at a gay club? Yeah, but they never they never say it because, again, I think that was something that was was more than frowned upon at the time, which uh, you know was unfortunate. Um, yeah, because then it cuts right into this thing where they're, there's there's all these uh, these streamers and they're they're setting these sausages on fire and. And uh, I got to say, uh, the Maries use scissors uh, with an equal, a plum equal to either Marion Cobretty or Harpo Marks.
1: <laughs> yes. yes. They're cutting
2: these sausages again, which is a very, and they're on the phone with a guy at the time, which is a very obvious. Uh, yes. Thing, but you know, it was still kind of funny and cute. Uh, but yeah, Sly needs to eat his heart out, man. Like uh, you know, they don't they don't work a flat thing like pizza. They 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 work a sausage with these scissors quite proficiently. Yes. Um, and I think they even say something, or they they break a banana down to size. Like they start breaking it down to take that even further. Um, something I think had to be intentional and not uh, coincidental is the fact that one of the old guys. Like there's this uh, this really fishy, fishy guy. I don't know what that means now. But one of the guys in it um, almost to- totally looked like fucking Lenin. Um, you know who obviously is a big uh, figure in communist uh, philosophy. Um, the one Marie, not the one I liked, but the other one looked sort of like Ileana Douglas from the side.
1: Oh yeah yeah
2: yeah totally <laughs> yeah yeah she really did look like her. Very strange. Um, and you get all this bath talk of, do you have your papers? Where's your papers? Are your papers in order? Which is also something very very much the time and, and the political system. Yes. Um,
1: it's also very much a European thing, the papers.
2: Yes. Do so you have
1: your you have, papers? Do you have your
2: papers? <laughs> yes. for
1: <Yeah. laughs> European. Americans, uh, born and raised North Americans, I should say, because I don't think you guys have I've probably dealt with a lot of papers talk either. but No. <laughs> born and raised North Americans, I think... Uh, always see that as like, you know, you immediately start thinking like uh, even comic stuff like Hogan's Heroes and that kind of stuff. What are the papers? Give me your papers.
2: Totally, man. So, yeah. p- passing a checkpoint and <laughs> yeah. there's a man in a little gatehouse. Yeah, no, totally, yeah. man. Um, there's even a scene that I think pokes fun at a lot of the cinema of the times because let's, you know, we've seen this with no, no matter which um, which political system is in charge when you get one too far on one side or the other um you tend to get films that are very much propaganda and they even put in what was very common for for a lot of communist propaganda films the the scene of like the noble farmer who gets up really early and he's got this really long hose and and he's uh You know he's 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 working the fields and he's happy to be working the fields and it's very much a a staple of of communist cinema, uh, propaganda cinema, um, which I I thought was amusing and a coy kind of snarky thing for them to throw in. Um, There's a lot of philosophical questions in this film that you know about singularity, individuality, identity that the girls they consistently bring up what is this, what is that, what is blah 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 almost in in a childlike way, which which I liked. Um we get a floating head scissor battle yeah. where there's a scene where the one head's like decap like not decapitated, but it, it's disconnected and it's <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: battling with scissors, which is a very houseu moment.
1: Yes. Very No ass biting though.
2: Yeah, no ass biting sadly. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, because then at the end again, this this thing works. You know, where the girls kind of—I don't want to say too much—but they say if you work, if you're good and you're hardworking, you'll be happy. And they repeat this mantra over and over. And they wear the newspaper, which again I think is a very obvious but a very powerful commentary on, on what the film is uh, saying overall. Um, and it should be said: this this hall, this dining hall, where this big decadent feast is with all these cakes and rotting seafood and everything. The food was rotting and the building was crumbling and it's almost like this crumbling state you've seen this i've seen this in documentaries on north korea and i I even saw a little bit in in cuba where these really crumbling decadent things they try to put on a front like everything's fine but you can just see beneath that fresh coat of paint the cracks
1: yeah yeah
2: you know and you get that with this too and i love uh i love that one of the things i found very powerful is at the end of the film as it fades to black it says uh, this film is dedicated to those whose sole source of inspiration is, is, uh, is a trampled on trifle, Yeah. Um, uh, which is great. I mean, it shows some people, they can't express themselves through anything other than a very small statement that is big internally, but it's it's a small external statement, you know, on the surface. So yeah, I really like that. Um, I thought it was good. So there you have it. I'll kick it over to you.
1: All right um you heard me talk a little bit about the fact that you know this is very much an art film and and but it, it, because of that it really feels like uh you know midnight cinema because this is even to this day i'll see a film sometimes and it's, it's kind of like nothing i've ever seen now this is comparable to house and and uh even like uh like i said natural born killers and films like that i mean this really is throwing the kitchen sink in everything and the kitchen sink in uh, filmmaking. Now, the interesting thing about her was is she didn't even really know what she wanted to be. And, uh, of course, you know, the director I'm talking about, she, um, I believe in the documentary, she says that, you know, she didn't really have any aspirations to be a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then she just kind of, you know, happens into it, which is always fascinating to me because, you know, I'm one of these kind of people that, that wishes that was my job. And, uh, you know, it's one of those jobs I wish I had. So, you know, it's always amazing to me when people kind of fall into it and uh she did and and she's made several films. I've never seen any of them uh this is the first one uh I'd be curious to see if all of them are like that or if she has or like this or she has more straight narrative type stuff too. It would be interesting definitely. to see, but she's definitely a talent, and uh you know you can tell that she the way her brain works is kind of how this film is, like when they're talking to her and stuff, you can see her kind of looking around and stuff, and it's almost like she has like a slight case of ADD, and to the point to where she forgets about things. At one point during the interview, I don't know if you saw, because you said you didn't see that much of it, but at one point during that documentary interview, she jumps up and runs away from the camera because she forgot she had something on the stove. <laughs> so you know that you know. Of course, you could say that comes with age, but it also comes with all of us who start talking about something we're passionate about. If I if I get into a conversation somewhere about a movie I really like, I'll I'll neglect something because I'll forget because I'm so pumped to talk about something. Right, so.
2: Oh yeah, it happens. Then you like, you do that thing where you're like, "Oh my god!" And then you you realize that you've yes. left something on the stove,
1: so to speak. Yeah. Yes. Talk about how many I don't know how many moments since I've had a child where I've left the house. I'm like, "Oh shit!" I left that. Th- I was meant to take this. I meant to take that. I was supposed to mill this. I was supposed to mill that. I don't know how many times that's happened in the last ten months, but uh, <laughs> trust me, if I had a nickel, um, <laughs> I can't tell. Are they supposed to be sisters? Is that what they're supposed to be? Or are they just friends?
2: I think they're. I think the impression I got was friends.
1: Yes, that's what I got too. Because the the relationship, even though I'm not saying the sisters can't be close like this, but the relationship is very close. Um, cause some would say probably in this part of the country taboo. Um, it seems like every type of film stock is used to kind of, kind of meld the the moods of the girls and the moods of the the themes of the film, and that made it enjoyable. It made it it made it like you know that that can be annoying for some, but for me it, it worked in this one because this film is actually even though it's it's comment on some dark stuff, it's actually a pretty lighthearted fare, and uh, it was actually kind of refreshing you know because we watch a lot of let's be honest we watch a lot of downtrodden cinema here oh, yeah. on the show and and uh, you know a guilty pleasure for me anymore. His, uh, you know, like last week when we did the stu- the sex comedies, uh, you know, those are guilty pleasures now because it's like, hey, you know, <laughs> you know this is kind of goofy. This movie makes no sense, but hey, <laughs> you know, let's just act like idiots for an hour and a half. Um, it's nice to kind of have these kind of light, and this is, you know, this is kind of very light and very farcical, like it says, as opposed to like your Zoo Zero, which was really pretty dark and uh, very, you know, uh, uneven, to say the least uh this one at least has a i feel like it has a through theme a theme that goes all the way through it uh and stuff and i and i also felt like you know that one scene with the dinner table might almost been like a last supper type thing i don't know yeah. what i don't know what i'm trying to say there because it might be a little too deep for me on you know 24 plus hours a week now <laughs> but <laughs> there's definitely something going on there i keep thinking why was that feast i mean that was a it's a massive table Oh, yeah. Full of food. And, I mean, every bit of the table is covered in food. And, you know, they're just gouging on this food and stuff. And it's very interesting. Um, I was a little irritated. I'll have to say there was something that did irritate me. There's a squeaky noise at the the beginning. Did that drive you nuts, too? (laughs) Uh,
2: Not as much as you, but I wouldn't say it was melodious.
1: Yeah, I'm not a big fan of squeaky noises, especially, you know, I got the surround sound on. I got it cranked up. and It's like, you know, and all these noises. Yeah, yeah. Just it's kind of like uh, like dry fingers on a windshield, maybe type of sound.
2: Yeah, that's a good a good way to describe it, actually.
1: Like glass instead of uh, like nails on a chalkboard, which is terribly irritating. But this is you know kind of like that rubbing that you get from skin on glass if your hands are nice and dry,
2: or if so, your ass is wet.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That friction. Ooh, that's dangerous too. You got to be careful on that one. Yes, could cause a separation. <laughs> <laughs> a tear, so to speak. Oh, Ooh. Boy. <laughs> uh the the film i have to say though even though we've you spent a good deal of time describing it and i could spend another good deal of time describing it here it's really ultimately almost indescribable it's it it's going to be a film that like i said a little earlier it's going to turn some people away immediately i think they'd be done in five minutes seriously If, if if you're not if you're not down with the first five minutes i seriously doubt unless you're you know unless you really try that you'd be interested in this movie Cause it pretty much says what it is in the first five minutes, mm-hmm. <laughs> similar to super fights, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, not, not exactly the same. So, um, but I, I did like that the film was about these these obsessions and these things that make us feel good and stuff. And I don't know if the do the girls ever have sex in the movie? Or no, nope. but they are nude at some point, right? Taking pictures or semi-nude, yeah. I should say,
2: close, perilously close to. Yeah, yeah
1: it's like that mid-sixties nudity where you know, something's covered up or, you know, very close to showing a nipple or basically every day in the life of Lindsay Lohan now, but it's, it's one of those type of, you know, kind of sexual things, but the, it makes the girls very sexy. And you're right. They're both, I found them both to be pretty attractive. They're not exactly the kind of girls that I'm typically attracted to. I'm usually attracted to girls that are, you know, a little bit more, uh, I don't know. Uh, voluptuous. Yeah. Voluptuous, not so much, but maybe just a little thicker. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, you know, maybe a little bit more fried chicken, a little bit more, uh, gravy Ruben- on that. Rubenesque. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit more, uh, a little bit more gravy on the mashed taters, baby.
2: That's right, man. <laughs> Preach on brother.
1: <laughs> so something like that. But, uh, I did see, I did, I did have this wicked thought in my head that if they keep eating like that, <laughs> they're,
2: they're,
1: <laughs> they're eventually going to get there. Right. And so optimal, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're building towards something very Robert Crumb-esque. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I had a good time with the movie. It it uh, at first I thought about the first two minutes. I thought, oh man, this might be a chore. And then after about five or ten minutes, I was like, whoa! I'm, I've never seen nothing like this. And even though I have seen some films that are similar, House Who's a great example. I feel like House Who has a more straight story ultimately, mm-hmm. I mean, which yeah. sounds bizarre to say. But. Yeah, but ultimately it's about a group of girls, you know, a haunted house or something. <laughs> some, some type of cannibalism <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know those who have seen it know what I'm talking about it's kind of indescribable in a lot of ways too but it at least has a kind of a feeling of going you know from, from beginning to middle to end this one feels like it starts and it stops almost in, in the same kind of way that it started in a way so it feels like a nice little you know experimental piece but uh, I don't really have much more to add I mean you added almost everything I mean you said almost everything that I had written down as well I, I, like I said I could go more into the political aspects but I would literally just be winging it, and I don't think I should do that. Because, you know, I don't know if we have any listeners in Eastern Europe. I'm sure we do, but I don't want to sound like an ignorant American, which would be very easy to do on this show.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And me, an ignorant Canadian, so yeah,
1: well... Let's put it this way. We don't want to sound like ignorant North Americans. There we go. That's right. You know, this continent has enough uh, people spouting ignorant shit most of the time, so I don't think we need to add to that. But uh, yeah, let's hear your MVTs, Make or Break, some things.
2: Uh, make or Break is the opening kind of robot puppet scene. I think you kind of you were spot on when you said, listen, this is either going to hook you or not. It did hook me. It was what I saw in the trailer, and I, I liked it, man. Let me know what I was in for. It was a cute scene. It was reflective of what the girls did in the film and, and commentary that uh – <sighs> <sighs> I'm getting knocked out by the yawns this morning. Yeah, wow. and
1: every every time you're yawning, even though I don't see you, I'm yawning too.
2: Yeah, it's rough, man. It's we've been at this since six. Um, uh, that's a.m. people, not p.m. Yes. Um, so that opening robot slash puppet scene, you know, it hooked me, and it was pretty good. Um, my MVT is the charm of the leads. You touched on this in saying that it could be irritating, and these girls could be irritating, but somehow, despite the the sneaky kind of shit-stirring that these girls do it is always kind of charming and innocent when it could have been really fucking obnoxious with leads uh, and a director that didn't handle the leads the way that these are handled. So I'm going to go with the charm of the leads. Yeah. Score for the film, I'm going to say a 7.25. Okay. Uh, okay. I quite like this film, man. Um, I would say it's worth owning because it's something very different. It's from a different time. And, and I think it's a very important film above all. It's an important film. Because it, 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 she was able to ex- express her ideas uh, on film and through art, uh, and paid the price for it with a prison sentence. So, uh, I think it's it's definitely worth owning, and it. it's an, an important film.
1: And I think it's uh, it's relatively short too. I think it's only like seventy something minutes, right? Seventy four yeah.
2: minutes, actually. Yes, that's right. Yeah.
1: So it's it's a you know it's quick watch, and it never it never dragged. I'll say that no um my maker brick scene is going to be the big dinner scene uh the big table and i really love the excess of that scene it's really just very visually stimulating uh again i just felt like you know this is there's some there's some type of religious thing going on there in my brain and i can't quite manipulate it enough to get it out of my mouth this morning but uh there's a lot of good stuff going on there and i'll give maybe to you the actresses as well both the actresses in the film uh Ivana Karbinova and Jitka. is it jitka or sir- I
2: I would imagine yitka. Jitka. Cherhova.
1: Cherhova. <laughs> it's better than shitloaf.
2: Yeah. Either way, uh anything's
1: better than shitloaf. <laughs> Baked or fried. <laughs> uh I prefer them unbroiled. Uh nice. <laughs> the uh I've really liked them quite a bit. And you're right. And I you know, they well you're right, but you said what I said, the, the you know, they could be irritating. Now, if I was that couple in the nightclub that was sitting in front of them. I would have killed them. But, uh, you know, they're supposed to be there for that reason. I mean, they're very obnoxious in that scene out of control and stuff, but still, if you're an audience member watching the film, you're, I don't know. You're, you're just, there's something that draws you toward the girls and whenever they're on screen, you're looking for them. Yeah. And I don't know if that's the way the filmmaker sets it up by opening the film with them or not, but it just, they're, they're very charismatic. So it's easy to get drawn into them. I score for the film is a solid seven out of 10. Uh, i like a little bit less than you but still i'd say the 0.25 is 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 very close in score really when you come down to it so i probably pretty much agree with you on everything on this film and uh it's definitely what i'm going to revisit because i feel like there's a lot of stuff going on politically that i'm not getting maybe i need to do a little bit more research so it's definitely something i want to revisit you know at some point all right i guess that's it then huh
2: that is it. That it's August. Uh, all right.
1: So we're going to try to catch up on all our feedback here. So hopefully we'll be able to do that. So we're going to take a short break. And if we don't, we don't. But we're going to give it a shot. We're going to give it the old college try. Yes. So we'll take a break, and we'll be right back after this. Did you know that Asian people prefer being called
6: Orientals? Did you know that Ching Chong, Ting Tong, is a respectful salutation in all Asian cultures? Did you know that paper cuts can cause massive arterial sprays in Orientals? Yeah. No? Well, then you should listen to Podcast Without Honor and Humanity, the Internet's fourth best Asian film podcast. Every week, your host, Jake McClarchuge, will cover two Asian films that can range from The Obscure to The Notorious, from a Sonny Chiba werewolf film to a splattergore atrocity, from Category 3 to the Korean New Wave, and beyond. Tune in at the website, podcastwithouthonorandhumanity.libsyn.com. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N or you can just search Podcast Without Honored Humanity in iTunes. So give Podcast Without Honored Humanity a shot and get cultured.
1: back that song sounds like the cover of the Daisy's dvd looks <laughs> I, I think you turned down well
2: <laughs> and you didn't hear my laugh and you knew <laughs> that you there's a reason for that
1: yes because damn it i'm funny yes <laughs> <laughs> all right so we got some feedback you want to you want to take turns on the emails here what do you want to do let me
2: see where to begin um, i think we
1: start with tim's actually
2: Ah uh, yes Michael Sarazin, rest in peace. So this is going back to April 20th, Manuel. Wow. Uh, morning, boys. just want to drop a short one to mention the passing of acclaimed Canadian actor Michael Sarazin. Sarazin starred alongside Jane Fonda in the classic Sidney Pollock film, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? As well as great genre, fair like The Gumball Rally, The Seduction, and Fighting Back. He also played the monster in the 73 TV adaptation of Frankenstein. Frankenstein. <laughs> Frankenstein, the true story.
1: Like uh, Young Frankenstein, Frankenstein.
2: Frankenstein. <laughs> uh, das ist gut. Uh, the true story, <laughs> to this day, it's my favorite telling of the Shelley story, aside from a classic <laughs> Karloff and James Vale.
1: You have your papers.
2: You have your papers. <laughs> Jimmy Patterson. Um, little... Uh, What's that game called now? Oh, fuck, forget it. We're
1: Um, getting a little punch drunk here on the show.
2: punch drunk out of steam, man. Uh, Saw a recent gem from the past, pulled from the archives. It's right up your alley in 1978. And Nick Nolte, not a Nick Nolte, I should say. The Nick Nolte did a film with Tuesday (laughs) Weld. Ooh. Called Who'll Stop the Rain? And you've got to cover this. This isn't the pretty boy making County Nolte, but the Nolte that dances in the same light that early Busey used to between sheer insanity and genius. It's got a pimp cast as well as... Oh, Michael Moriarty playing a drug-dealing shitbag and Richard Macer from The Thing, and Anthony Zerbe playing Crooked Cops after Nolte. This has got to go on the roadmap and is well worth your perusal. Speaking of rain, here's a big one, a big one up for the little man. literally Dynamite for finally taking it to the bowl. He shoots, he scores. <laughs> now he knows how to get the job done. He can be the life of the potty. Thomas will be very proud of you. Yes. Kick it easy. Keep it sleazy. Ghetto Tim and... Yeah, it's great that uh, William's uh, bowel movements can be <laughs> celebrated on here. My wife and I laugh about that, that yeah. when, when he's, the kids grow up.
1: Yeah, he re- he's really going to appreciate that one day.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got, yeah, audio proof of him taking a leak, you know, and when I did it, I did it, and I'm going to try to cut that into a wedding <laughs> montage for him, so. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: I haven't seen that Nolte film, uh, but it makes me think, I wish Nolte and Gary Busey would like now make like a geriatric cop movie. The Buddy Cop movie, those two. Oh man, I'd like to be that director.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna look this one up. stop stop ring What a fucking cast. Yeah,
1: yeah. And of course, Anthony Zerbe. You know, yeah, he's one of those Long Beach guys. Yeah, so. that,
2: yeah, yeah. Exactly, man. <laughs> exactly.
1: Every time I think of now, I think about that conversation we have with Miles. That's why there's Long Beach. There's a lot of Tonys in Long Beach.
2: Oh yeah, a lot of Zerbes
1: or <laughs> <laughs> Miles was like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. And Michael Saracen, yes, good actor. Uh, a TV movie that's very, very underrated, but people need to check out. It's called uh, The Reincarnation of Peter Proud. Very good. Very good film. So definitely look into that.
2: Oh, here it is. It's also got Ray Sharkey in it, man.
1: Oh, nice. <laughs> the master of the flip hair.
2: And Wings Hauser. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. Uh-oh, uh-oh, oh uh-oh, uh-oh. Yeah.
1: Here, here comes, comes a, an Nolte. I was going to say, here comes the Hauser, because it almost rhymes. Here comes the Hauser. Oh,
2: that would have made more sense, wouldn't it? That's unfortunate I didn't <laughs> key in on that. I just saw a painted picture of an Nolte I was romanced by. So
1: All I know is you're singing it, but I'm doing the Vin Diesel dance moves over here while you're doing it. <laughs> All right. Nice. Uh, this one next one's from Dusty. He says, hey, gents, it's been months since I've written or called. My apologies. No worries, Dusty. Our apologies. It's probably been months since you sent this to us. Uh, there's a plethora of things I want to tell you. First of which is that yes, girls washing cars is hot as mentioned in episode 128. Why? I don't know. I'm not even a car guy. Nine times out of 10, I couldn't tell you the difference between a Chevy and a Buick. If you want to see a creepy jailbait run benefit car wash, come out to Albuquerque sometime. There are constantly high school girls trying to raise money for some cause or another. The creepy part is that once they get lured in by the jailbait, the fathers of the girls are the ones doing the washing. This is wrong on many, many levels especially because the fathers are the ones making the executive decision about who to have stand in the car, with the car war son. Ooh. Anyway, uh, on a more show-related topic, I know the Brian Church Smith interview was a while ago, but it was fantastic. fan fantastic. It's so rare that a person in the film industry is that humble and willing to talk. I even love the fact that he answers his phone on air and said, not now, I'm doing a podcast. All of the stories he told were fantastic. Again, fantastic. They gave you great insight into what it, uh, what it is to be a professional filmmaker. Love the interview I listened to it about two and a half times what's up with the half time man yeah. uh, more show stuff I'm really happy that Rupert is still booking the interviews there hasn't been a single one that hasn't been fascinating to listen to especially the VHS collector guy I want to go hang out in his attic in a non-stalkerish and creepy way of course I wish I could comment on some of the movies you reviewed recently but to be honest I haven't seen any of them in a weird way it's been a little bit of a movie light year for me I just hit 90 yesterday uh, yeah it's been light for me too I'm, I'm still in the 90s right now there are times when I wish I could do nothing but watch movies all the live long day, but sometimes it's nice to get out and remember why oxygen is a good thing. Yes. I would also be remiss if I didn't thank you guys for plugging my blog. No need to worry about forgetting. It, re- it really wasn't ready to be plugged yet. It's taken me about a year to figure out exactly what I'm doing with it, what the tone is, etc. If anyone listening to is thinking about starting a blog, I would definitely urge you to go for it. If nothing else, your writing skills get stronger. That's about it. Even if you guys don't hear from me, I'm still around listening. It's been almost two years since I found your show, oddly enough. Talk again soon, Dusty. P.S. That unconventionally hot thread on Palaver just doesn't seem to die. What kind of asshole would start that? Oh yeah, that'd be me. <laughs> the unconventionally hot thread. Yeah, that one. That one's not going to die.
2: <laughs> nice. Well,
1: thanks, Dusty. Appreciate that. Yeah, that chicks washing cars thing. So that's just. I just saw that today. Oddly, because it was uh, 85 degrees here today, and uh, it's supposed to be in the 90s tomorrow, uh, or today, I should say, and. Uh, yeah, you'll see a lot of that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah, you will. It's uh, very common and very creepy.
1: It, uh, it is creepy. I don't care what anybody says, man. It's creepy.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's this weird thing. We're all kind of complicit. I don't know. It's it's strange, but um, they don't have them as much here. Uh, I don't know. but uh, <laughs> Because, you know, our weather's not conducive to Daisy Dukes. And, and at least it's not the fathers wearing Daisy Dukes watching your... <laughs> Ooh, your cares. that would be a whole other level of disturbing
1: yeah like blue jean daisy dukes and a red bandana tied a knot in the front or,
2: or- yeah or like a cut off <laughs> half sweatshirt you know oh god just, no thanks <laughs> <Ooh>. um, <laughs> next one moving on sylvia aka sybil this is from good, good pal shiftless hey gents thanks for reviewing the awesome 70s adult feature sylvia it's one of the stranger porn films from that decade one of my all time favorites I must confess that I do have an inexplicable attraction to Joanna Bell. She sports some of the worst wigs in movie history and is not the most attractive woman, but I can't seem to resist her or her signature move. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I may be wrong, but I think Sylvia is a remake of the 76 critically acclaimed made for TV film Sybil, starring Sally Field as a young woman suffering from multiple personality disorder. I thought Sylvia made a lot more sense and was a whole lot funnier after seeing Field go crazy in Sybil. For example, I think the confusing bathtub scene discussed in the review is actually a takeoff on the notorious enema scene in Sybil. Wow. There are many uh, (laughs) other parallels between the films, as well as including a strict religious mother and a conservative upbringing. Anyway, it was a fun review, and I hope you'll cover some uh, other 70s films in the genre. By the way, there is a certain 70s detective named Johnny Wad. Your pal, Shiftless.
1: I think the important thing that when it comes to covering porn, I think the important thing is, is that you do it the way we did it, like you and your wife did it. Because I think if sometimes I think two dudes sitting around talking porn kind of comes off creepy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I enjoy my porn movies too, but that's, that's my business. I'll talk about it on the air and have fun with it, but I'm not going to, you know, I don't really want to sit around and evaluate porn with you.
2: Yeah, and talk about, yeah, yeah, no, I know. I don't
1: really no. want to talk about Sylvia's signature move, which I'm guessing is the salad tossing thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> I don't want to talk about that move yeah. with uh, my buddy up north.
2: <laughs> Jesus. No, it's right, man. It's a real uh, tightrope walk, to say the least. Yeah,
1: literally. Or a rim, <laughs> or a rim hole walk, maybe. <laughs>
2: yes, yes. A sarlacc pit walk.
1: <laughs> yeah. I kept wanting to, when I heard the review, I kept wanting to insert, I wish I could have inserted the sound effect with somebody blowing into the top of a bottle. <laughs> Every time you guys mentioned nice. asshole, it's it's, it's 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 so funny. I didn't tell you this about the review, but one of the funny things about the review is you know you could definitely tell your husband and wife because it's so nonchalant the way you guys just talk about assholes being eaten.
2: Assholes, yeah, <laughs> it's true, man. That's it's one true. of those things. Uh, you know, man. Anyone that's married knows like things become more matter of fact Than they do glitz <laughs> and glamour after you know this is true. A number of years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yes. Anyway, <laughs> who knows? Maybe we might get some Johnny Wad in there something. They, they're definitely very genre those Johnny Wad films. Yeah, they are. You we'll know.
2: get into some. It's getting some. Of sure. Uh,
1: I think the rest of the stuff is just mentions. Uh, that one there, I think it's from that one lady you've been in contact with before, maybe.
2: Yeah, Stephanie Chapmanier of Evocative Films, Fantasia, which is a fantastic festival in Montreal that we got to make the trek to sometime. It runs yeah. for like three weeks or something.
1: Yeah, it's an insane festival.
2: Hmm. Uh, July 14th to August 7th, 2011. Anyone who can go, um, I would highly recommend it. I- I've said before, Montreal is my favorite city in North America, of the ones I've been to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I-, I adore Montreal, beyond words. If you want to go to Europe but can't afford it, go to Montreal. It's it's a beautiful city with a lot of culture. It has something for everyone, and for those listen to our show, it has something for you. It has Fantasia Film Fest. So, um, yeah, 120 feature films, Uh very nice. And then uh, this other one, I think, is more of a uh, solicit that I don't really want to get involved with. That TV, tw- they, they referenced Twilight Zone.
1: Yeah, I think it's just, you know, they probably picked up it, on our thing. That's so. a
2: mass email, I think, that went out and they were just throwing shit at the wall to see who, yeah. what, who it stuck with.
1: Yeah, I don't know that person at all. So No.
2: And, and, you know, just to everyone as an aside, if you want to send us something you think would be interested in promoting, you know, don't fucking send us a mass email. At least say, hey, fans of the show, ba-ba-ba, this and that. Like, you know, this is just fringe stuff that really is of no interest to us. So I'm going to go ahead and delete it on air. Yep. Um,
1: I think I already did, so.
2: <laughs> there you go. Um, we'll go over Je- this
1: uh, Jesse from, Di- I could say this one, Jesse from Deadlog yeah, Di- yeah. DVD. He, they had a little festival that uh, they put on over the weekend and he kind of just wanted to it's called the X Fest, 12 hours of non-stop exploitation madness. Uh seven excessive features from seven different seven different ex- exploitation genres. It was hard to say for me for some reason. He uh started the let'll fe- we'll just give you a little rundown. This is what it was like trailers were uh, spaghetti westerns 20 minutes to pray, the gun down in the hills, will be your last mercenary. I don't I don't know what that, is that a title for a film? Because if it is, I've never heard that of that film ever. The Gun Down in the Hills Will Be Your Last Mercenary? Jesus. Uh, Sounds like bad Google translation. I don't know. Either way, he, uh first film of the festival was Cutthroat's Nine, which we've reviewed on the show. Then they showed a couple trailers for Revenge movies. Revenge is a dish best served with a large popcorn. Uh, maybe this is just what they called the trailer th- things. I don't know.
2: Anyway. I think I think it was a melding, much like we do with. Because yeah. I think they probably went with the big gun down. Yes. Um, uh, Twenty-minute scenarios.
1: Yeah, yeah. Probably. You're probably right. Now, now I'm getting. Now I'm getting the gist. Then they did an Italian crime film, Big Guns. I don't think I've ever seen Big Guns. Uh, then they did The Face with Two Left Feet. Travolta exploitation. Seriously. Nice. I've never even heard of that. Have you? As, I guess it may be like nope. a like a take on Saturday Night Fever, maybe.
2: Yeah, I don't
1: know. Gonna be looking that up here in a minute. Uh, got the black exploitation trailers of what it is, and then they played Savage. Which is good. Okay, and then they played uh, Red Deck Miller, which I'm dying to see.
2: Yeah, but I know Bri is really yeah. fiending for that one.
1: Yeah, uh, they played Five Fingers of Death and then they shut it down with uh the Sexploitation classic Cinderella. Which I believe uh this C D yeah, I think Cinodiabonica did those fairy tale porns at one point. Yeah. But very interesting. Yeah, so good, good. to hear from you, Jesse. And good Lino. it was yeah.
2: very good to hear from Jesse.
1: That'd be a hell of a little festival to show up for. <laughs> yeah, it
2: would man. Although I would miss Cutthroats. Not. Well, maybe under. I don't know. If it was with you, maybe we get up a beer and kind of shoot the shit over it or something.
1: Yeah. Know, maybe. Yeah. I'd watch it again. And then of course, we got uh, a guy named Greg sent us uh, saying if we liked Maliva, we might want to check out Time of the Wolf, which is on uh, Netflix and watch down here, and also the end of August at the Hotel Zone, which I've never heard of.
2: It sounds Slavic to me, um, or like, you know, Serbian somewhere in there. Um, and of course, Simon the Wolf, that's the Henneke one, isn't
1: it? Yeah, I've only seen half of that.
2: Yeah, I have it, and I haven't seen it yet, because I've just been kind of trying to be in the mood to watch it. Yeah.
1: Well, this one here, he says, is bleak, 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 the end of August at the Hotel Zone, so. Let me take a look.
2: Out? Oh, I was right. It is, uh, it's Czech, I believe, uh...
1: What a surprise. It was
2: somewhere yeah. Eastern Bloc, Slavic kind of. Yeah, it looks like it's Czech. Yeah, it is Czech. There you go. Nice. Well, a bunch of women with guns. It's a not, and not in the sort of bikini 80s teased terror way that we're used to. <laughs> wow.
1: All right, uh going to jump into some email here. Our voicemail, I should say. Damn, I can't talk. All right. Uh, here we go. First one.
6: Gentlemen, some... Uh, it's about the third time I've tried to leave this fucking message because the goddamn answering machine, for some reason, uh, keeps cutting me off. Uh, so anyway, now uh, I'm going to a Bridget. Uh, Walmart, 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, going shopping on my day off. Too many fucking people. I don't know if people just don't sleep anymore or ever or what's going on. And I'm not quite sure when Walmart decided to make everything in their grocery department cost four fucking dollars. So anyway, I'm ranting about that, but that's not what I called about. What I called about is about the show, and the show with Large William and Mrs. Large William uh, reviewing Sylvia, a 70s porno. (laughs) (laughs) And so anyway... I'm walking down the, uh, walking around looking like a fucking, uh, uh, probably like I have schizophrenia or like I'm a psychopath or something. Because I'm laughing my ass off and there's just like nobody around me. Um, I literally, when I got to the potato chip uh, aisle, or the chip aisle, uh, holding my hand over my nose and over my mouth, covering my entire mouth and nose, because I'm snorting and laughing. And I believe uh, what uh, set that, um, the the actual stifling or stymieing myself, was uh, Mrs. Large William explaining that when you're 69ing, you should do it with uh, at least someone who each person should uh, be able to reach the other person's um, (laughs) goodies or junk or whatever the the parlance of the day is for (laughs) genitalia. Let's see. Also, another uh, Large William, Mrs. Large William, comment that I found quite amusing was uh, when uh, Will was talking about uh, how long sex scenes take in the old movies as compared to today, and she said that uh, that's because nowadays uh, women have let it know what they want and they don't want any of that bullshit (laughs) love. (laughs) And here all this time, I've been trying to be a sensitive lover, (laughs) you know? Geez. Anyway, maybe that's just up in Canada. I don't know. I, 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 I uh, you know. But anyway, and uh, of course, you know, uh, because it was a husband and wife teaming up on, uh, no pun intended, on a 70s porno, uh, uh, it was nice to see Larger Williams squirm a few times um, as he dug uh, small and then sometimes even deeper holes for himself, uh, okay. particularly in the uh, her suitness, of uh, certain people and uh, whether, and that certain person, you know, telling him to move along. Anyway, I've tried to leave this message three times. Hopefully it'll go through. I don't know if I'm under or over three minutes because it is 4.17 in the morning, and I'm driving down the fucking uh, backcountry roads of West Virginia, and I can't wait to get home because I got some grub, and I'm going to go home. I was watching The Magnificent Ambersons. Uh, I, I wasn't watching any uh, 70s porn, but now I have my appetite wetted for Sunny Landon. And, uh, oh, you know, come on. Large William, how could you, you're telling me that you've never wanted to see any of our action heroes blow their load before no. I call bullshit.
2: You can call it, my friend. <laughs> no, no yoga ropes from Arnie for me, please. No.
1: Oh, that would be more like a yogurt drip at his age now, probably.
2: Oh yeah, a yogurt dribble. It'd be like the end of the night when they turn off the frosty machine at Wendy's. And...
1: <laughs> yeah, same consistency probably too. Yeah,
2: probably, man. Hopefully not the same color.
1: <laughs> Why do you got a swirl going on there, Arnie?
2: Yes. All right. Uh, yeah.
1: No, you made a lot of good points. I don't know if there's really much to talk about there. You know,
2: I'm, I'm glad he dug it though. I'm yeah. The, I'm glad people dug it. I want to say that my wife, you know, was. So, you know, we're a different breed here on the show. And although my wife loves movies, it's, you know, we're kind of obsessive, uh, very esoteric kind of cinephiles. And and uh, I told her it went over well and people liked it and it made her feel good. So thanks for everyone for uh, verbalizing or vocalizing. Uh, yes.
1: Good stuff. All right. Uh, next one is I'm called back. Here we go.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I, I never. I have never thought about um you know
5: <laughs> i
6: I have never thought about um you know uh, women giving head with lipstick on and <laughs>
5: well how much sex. It Jesus. <laughs> <Whoa. laughs> All
2: right he's fighting off the cough. <laughs>
1: wow, it's like he's choking on some lipstick. oh yeah <laughs> nice. Yeah, you know you don't think about those kind of things how do you feel about lipstick let's ask the question will do you,
2: I fucking hate red lipstick
1: uh, do you hate the way it looks or do you hate when you have to kiss your wife if she wears it
2: well that's I like I'm more of a lip gloss kind of guy yes you know, I, like I agree that. with
1: this I agree with this I hate well, the texture of lipstick
2: yeah I'm not really down with it my wife and then when she just puts it on it's like she like puts her lips out for like a light kiss it's like what the fuck man I'm like yeah Come on.
1: No, I don't I, I don't and my wife knows that. I don't like the consistency of the lipsticks. So no. it's like if she's not in the mood to play kissy kissy face. Yeah. She throws yeah. the lipstick on and I'm like, okay. I see I say how you're gonna play it today. Yeah. exactly. I am sure, sure as hell not gonna be kissing anybody with that shit on.
2: No, no, it's and then, yeah, shades I like more of the you know, the more natural shades, subtle. Yes. Some guys like that red lipstick, like the Christina Aguilera thing, and I thought it was always a shame she wore that. Not that she's, you know the, the be all end all in terms of beauty but she's someone that a few times I saw were like a brown or a darker lipstick it looked way better man I fucking hate red lipstick man you gotta like it, it takes someone very special to pull it off and I've seen some gorgeous women that are not able to pull it off so
1: I'm not a big fan either so no it's interesting alright next voicemail here we go
4: Rick and Will or whomever else may be there <laughs> Metal Mikey dropping an old school voicemail and why am I doing this? Well, unfortunately, last episode episodes I listened to, don't really have a lot to say about the movies. I'm curious enough to check out Mishima. But oh no, 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 tonight is a special night in the Metal Mikey household here. For I sat down and watched Night Beast for the very first time. Ooh. Ugh, I am dumbfounded. <laughs> I don't know exactly how to elaborate. I'm trying to decipher whether what I saw was indeed a true masterpiece or if it just pretty much caused my brain to atrophy. All I know is one solid fact in my life. To all of the gentlemen's Guide Nation, I want you to remember this. For the love of God, don't call me Birdie. All right, figured I'd share my experience. Take it easy. Talk to you later. Bye.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. Interesting. like to hear a little bit more on details on the uh, on the uh, the night beast there.
2: Yes, I got to see that still, man. I got to get you to shoot it over to me.
1: Yes. All right. Uh, next voicemail. Here we go. <laughs> uh,
2: it's love.
6: Uh, will epic.
1: Epic bomb on the Glo- Globetrotters joke this week with the Sylvia review. <laughs> I just had to call for that. Bye. <laughs> okay. Epic bomb on the Globetrotters joke. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I liked, I like What I liked most about the review is that uh, you realized when you were starting to dig the hole, after a while you started realizing, like, okay, we need to move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, next question. This is a new listener here. We haven't heard from this person before, so i save this one for you when
2: you come back. Oh nice
7: Hey guys how you doing? Uh, my name is Ron. I was calling to let you know that I really appreciate and enjoy your show. I listen every week I support when I can. I think you guys have the best chemistry and that you have this enduring potential to be maybe the Cisco and Ebert of the internet. Mm, I think wow. that your contrasting personalities with Willie being more of a Cisco and Samurai Moore <laughs> and every man Ebert is a very good blend and I've tried to listen to other podcasts but they just don't captivate my interest the way you guys do because of your love of movies and your chemistry. I just think it's excellent. Um, I'd like to thank you guys for bringing up a movie I've been telling people about for over 20 years, maybe even 30 years. I can't even remember, but uh, I just love this movie, Night of the Juggler. I saw it at a triple feature when I was in the military. I actually saw it the same night, Night of the Juggler, Vice Squad with um, Wings Hauser and Defiance with Jan Michael Vincent, yeah. and I think wow. this movie Defiance would be a perfect movie that you guys want to uh, talk about on your show. It's an excellent um, vigilante type movie with uh, Jan Michael Vincent. Um, you, I think, I'm not sure if you guys talk about anime too much, but there's one anime to me that stands out almost like a, just a feature film that I would love to see reviewed on your show, which is, uh, Vampire Hunter D: Bloodlust. I mean, to me, it's just one of the most action packed, intense movie experiences I've had. And, um, you know, it was just like watching a full feature film. And I just think that's a movie that really you guys should, uh, cover. Um, and there are a couple other movies. I tend to watch a lot of Asian cinema, and this movies I'm surprised I haven't heard of on your show. I'm going to mention them now. One is Azumi, which is an anime um, brought to life about a female samurai assassin. That To me, is kind of like the Star Wars of samurai films. It's just acting is great drama, great action, spectacular battle sequences, and a villain that I would say probably is one of the best villains i ever seen in a movie. I would put him on par with Darth Vader and Alan Rickman from Die Hard. Uh, another movie is Battle Royale. I'm sure many people are familiar with that, but I would love to see you guys take on and review the movie. Another one is a Korean uh, film about Masayama, Uh well, I guess I don't know if he's the founder of karate or brought karate from Korea to Japan, but a movie called Fire in the Wind is just a spectacular uh, movie. I wouldn't even say it's a martial arts film, as it is a film with martial arts as its theme. It's just a great movie, um, a Thai movie, not a Tony John film, but a movie called Bang Rajang, which is a spectacular large battle scene, violent. Uh, Seven Samurai type movie that is just spectacular watching. Another movie that I'm shocked I haven't heard on your show is a movie called Filmito and it's about um, some Korean um, soldiers criminals who've been trained for this uh, suicide mission. Just spectacular in every way. I would Say, is an excellent mixture of The Dirty Dozen and Seven Samurai in terms of just how it's presented. It's just a spectacular movie that I could never get enough of watching. And also, there's a very low budget movie that when I came across it, I was very skeptical, but I've watched it, and it actually is just one of my favorite Asian films. It's a movie called Kiba Kichi, and it's about. Get this it's about a samurai who becomes a werewolf now. I know this sounds crazy mm. But it makes for a spectacular low-budget movie experience. It was just awesome right? just, especially the in-action sequence is just ass-kicking and awesome So guys, I just want to um, tell you I enjoy your show one. I only have one small critique in that your list of uh, your top 30 films of 2010 you had too many mainstream movies that I thought would appear in, you know, almost everybody else's top 10 or top 20 list. And one thing that really captivated me about your show is that you guys talk about uh, really excellent, hard-to-find, lesser-known genre films that um, people need to discuss. Because many of these movies are superior or as on par and can compete with a lot of big hollywood studio product so again guys i will be listening and i will be supporting and thank you very much
1: for your show take care all right that was ron we appreciate that a very nice voicemail there
2: very nice voicemail and a very nice voice it should be said that they yeah. used to be in radio or something man
1: <laughs> yeah, voice on him. a yeah, nice deep voice um it's funny he brings up somito because that's been on our roadmap since like i don't know 1977 <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it was one of the first films I put on the roadmap for us. Uh, I love it. He, I actually wrote down all the films because he mentions a lot of films there. And most of them, I think I can give explanations. You know, he took the time to call in. Uh, maybe you want to chime in on these. The Vampire Hunter D, I like. It's one of the few anime I have, I pursued and did enjoy. It's good. Uh, it's good. At some point, maybe. Uh, Azumi, I like. You know, respectfully, uh, I feel like it's 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 overblown. Um, it's overrated, in my opinion. Um, it is good. It's it's uh, sort of like uh, you know, it's like a an anime come to life. This girl who's like a you know sam like a she wields a samurai sword. And it's it, the the my problem with that film is all of the the blood and everything in it is CGI. And It's when CGI hadn't quite become seamless and still hasn't yet. Yeah. Um, the villain is memorable. He's kind of this fae. Um, White robe, long white hair, kind of uh, guy. Uh, Battle Royale is one of my top ten or fifteen all-time favorite films. Sammy and I had tossed around covering it um, with this new Blu-ray that Arrow put out. And Arrow put out uh, Rafifi, man. They're really moving on up. It's nice to see them really, uh, you know, get into you know a lot of these films. Stuff from you know Battle Royale to the Argento stuff to the um, City Living Deads and everything else. It's nice to see them do that. But Better all I love. I'm sure you love as well.
1: I do. I've thought about uh, covering it at some point, but I, th- I figure if you know if we're going to do it, we might as well do like a double deuce and just do one and two, and just you know, because two is uh, interesting to talk about. I know it's, how you feel about two, and I, yeah. I'm pretty sure I know how I feel about two. But either, either way, it would make an interesting show. The film, you know, the first film and then the second film.
2: Yeah, the first one, the second one starts off good, but it just becomes very messy and, and mm-hmm. meat headedly. Political, Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, that's for that show. But you know, the problem, Ron, and just I guess to give everyone an idea, is there's a lot of films we'd love to cover, but a lot of times I feel like, um, they're when I say oversaturated, I mean oversaturated in terms of talk in our community. Your Lone Wolf and Cubs, your Lady Snowbloods, you know, your Switchblade Sisters, your Jack Hill stuff, stuff that we love so much, but it's like, you know, a lot of people talk about them, have covered them, beat us to the punch, um. You know, and our friends have covered some of those films, so it's like, you know what? Let's let's put them to the side and let's cover some Czech stuff, or let's cover, you know, uh, something that maybe hasn't been talked about yet, because yeah. a lot of us know of the Lone Wolf and Cubs, of the World, and Lady Snowbloods, and so forth.
1: Yeah, we tend to hold off, and it's not because we wouldn't cover them; it's just that, you know, they're buzz films, and we tend to just kind of hold off until you know there's enough separation from us and possibly another show or to something else and because we listen to a lot of the other shows we you know tend to keep up so if somebody covers something we tend to just say oh well you know maybe further down the road and there's there's so much to cover it's just you know it's pointless if you know if somebody covers the thing uh you know i mean even though i'd love to talk about the thing on the show it just you know it just hasn't come up
2: yeah it's like what can we really add you know i know we kind of felt that way it was a bit daunting uh with, uh, you know, with the, the Dollars Trilogy, too. Same thing, right? It's yeah, just, it's, very it's very tricky. Daunting.
1: Yeah, it's very tricky to... And we've talked about that before. I remember one of the first roadmaps, I thought about putting Apocalypto on there. And we talked oh, about yeah. how, you know, it was kind of newer at the time. And, you know, maybe we should hold off for a while. And so we've held off. And, you know, the longer we hold off, the more it'll be easier to talk about. But that's one of the reasons why we do that. And that kind of ties into the other thing he says about the uh, how a lot of the films in the top 30 list were mainstream. Really... My opinion of that, and correct me if I'm wrong, or however you feel about this, but they really, outside of like the foreign country films and stuff, most cinema nowadays, your low budget, hard to find genre films are not good. You really got to dig for a gem nowadays.
2: I would agree, and I think we've we've um, really tried to fashion ourselves as a show um, where we love film, mm-hmm. and that's an umbrella. That's that's not just genre film. You know, uh, I love good film, and if, if Hollywood can be good, most times it's not, you know, but if it can be good, then I have no qualms making a Hollywood film my number one of the year. Well, my number one this year was an American documentary. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's to us, we love genre film, we're genre film fans, but we're not going to exclude good more mainstream fair only because it's mainstream we're not going to take away points for that that's not fair either good film is good film no matter where it's from how much it costs and what the subject matter is
1: yeah modern genre cinema outside of like i say like some european countries and uh you know asian stuff some asian stuff really modern genre cinema is especially modern genre american cinema is a fucking mess
2: it is. It's it's pretty pretty unfortunate.
1: So um, It's it's really hard to find those little gems and, and uh, you know, I mean, we only have so much time in the day, so it's kind of hard to dig.
2: Yeah. So, no, it's true, man. With the kids and the jobs, it's it's tough. I, I don't watch too many movie trailers. I'm behind on my movie news. I got to look up when I see movie titles. Now I used to be able to tell you who was in it, who directed it, who's starring in it. Now it's like, well, oh, what's that film? The way it goes, man. I do the same right. thing now.
1: I do the same thing now. I pull up like a trailers page online and I'm like, huh, what's this? I never heard of this.
2: Yeah, no, tell me about it. But he does mention some really interesting ones: uh, "Fire in the Wind," uh, "Bang Rajan," and then that uh, Kibakichi. I'm going to look up those. Uh, I don't think I've seen any of them. Um, but, I haven't uh, seen hey, any, man,
1: Yeah, I haven't seen any of those. I haven't seen those, and I haven't seen Azumi. Uh, I've seen "Defiance." I've thought about covering it on the show. That's a John Flynn movie, I believe.
2: Oh, nice. I like Flynn. Flynn's, you know first episode featured Flynn, and we're going to get the outfit on here at some point, too. So, yep. yeah, Flynn's an underrated filmmaker. Azumi 2 isn't very good either, it should be said. So,
1: Yeah, so interesting. Anyway, keep in uh, contact, Ron. Appreciate that. Yeah,
2: please do, man. Good. Uh, he got some choice words and silky smooth delivery, so. All
1: right, large William, we have four voicemails left, and we are completely caught up on voicemail.
2: Can we hold off? Do you mind? Do you, do you want to hold off? Do you mind? Is it?
1: Uh, well, they're, they're all short. If that makes you feel any better.
2: Okay, if you want to do it, let's do it.
1: Let's knock him out. Here we go.
2: Hello, this
8: is Paul, a.k.a. Charlie Parker from the forums. I am phoning regarding actors who play themselves. I have just watched John Capita's Vampire starring James Woods, who just seems to play his fucking self, over and over again. (laughs) Uh, basically it also led me to think of a Hong Kong actor, Danny Lee who always played a policeman who always seemed to play himself and also made me think of Roger Moore who always played Roger Moore he was Roger Moore in The Saint he was Roger Moore in The Persuaders he was Roger Moore as James Bond and I seem to remember him in some rubbish Eurocrime film where he was also Roger Moore so I would like to think I would like to think I would like to ask what your other views of similar actors would be and since I have just watched James Camer's Vampires, I'm going to drink a whole bottle of rum to
1: delete
8: <laughs> the experience from my memory. <laughs> Good day.
1: Guess he didn't dig on the vampires too much. Uh, it's kind of an it's an okay Carpenter. It's not a great Carpenter, but it's a pretty. I, I enjoy it for what it is. I
2: like woods, and I just think they build up the mythology too much, and then the back third is they just wipe them out so oh, much easier.
1: It's the this the bald one acting that drives me nuts.
2: Yeah, Baldwin. I think me and Uncle talked about this one very recently for about thirty minutes. Uh, Baldwin is is laughably <laughs> and entertainingly bad. Like at the moment when he cries, and it's uh,
1: it's hilarious. Uh,
2: it's it's incredible. <laughs> it's uh, it's a fun film. It's Minor Carpenter, but Minor Carpenter is still entertaining.
1: So. Talking about actors that play themselves, that's a tough question, but I'm sure there's a ton I could think of. I always feel like Warren Beatty plays himself.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, you get your Denzels. I mean, most of the big, big name, Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. uh, the Denzels, etc., most of those guys do play themselves because when they become a brand, and mm-hmm. people yep. want that brand. So yep. when you get Denzel, you want Denzel, and you get Jack, you want Jack. When you get Pacino, you want Pacino. For some reason, the guy I don't mind playing himself over and over is Jack Nicholson because I just find him to be uh, effortlessly cool. and. yeah. yeah. Uh, I just, I, I always enjoy him. I don't know why. I just, I really love Jack Nicholson and, and everything he does. He's, he's just one of the coolest people in the world for me. So.
1: And, and that backfires for a lot of actors, too. I was thinking about this again tonight, and I was thinking, you know, I think Nicolas Cage has always been off the deep end. But I think the movie that ruined both Nicolas Cage and John Travolta is Face Off. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it ruined him. I think it, uh, you know, I think it spiraled him again back down into, the, you know, to where they, you know, even though they've made some they've made spotty good films here and there since. Uh, and they've had good performance here in there since, it's like, you know, it feels like to me, like Travolta feels like he has to be this certain kind of character now. And yeah. and Nicolas Cage, of course, you know, it feels like he has to do that kind of movie now. And it's really a shame, you know, but I don't know. I don't have a jet I have to fuel. I can't imagine how much that costs. I know how much my Oof. gas tank is hurting, so I don't know how much that costs. But anyway, uh, yeah, there's several actors out there to do that, so what are you going to do? All right, uh, next one. Here we go. This one's for Scott, so...
9: Hey, gents, it's Scott calling from Toronto. I um, just wanted to say that I think the last several shows have just been uh, amazing. Well, thank bringing you. Bringing in the co-hosts, you know, uh, if it's Chris or if it's Lightning Bug or if it's Rupert's uh, bonus stuff. It's just great. And it's a real testament to you guys that you can just roll with uh, whomever whomever comes through your earbuds. And you do a terrific job uh, inviting people in and, and uh, letting them contribute. So you got a great community. and. And I just, I mean, keep up the good work. It's just, it's crazy how well that you are able to uh, to smoothly transition people in and out. It's great stuff. Also, I uh, wanted to talk a bit about one of your uh, recent reviews. Uh, it's controversial in my mind. And that's Hero of the Rails. <laughs> and Will had sat down and, and watched this one. It, to me, it's, it's real travesty. It brings to uh, the classic debate of uh, CGI versus practical effects. Uh, right to the forefront in the uh, in our family, I'm a big fan of the practical effects on Sodor. Don't like the CGI at all. And that that's really Word. the way they seem to be going, and uh, I think it's a travesty. Anyhow, just <laughs> want to hear your thoughts on um, CGI uh, trains. Okay, keep up the good work, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye.
1: Yeah, I'm not a big fan of CGI trains either. I have not even seen that film.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things. Um so funny he mentions this, man, because I you know, Thomas has the old practical effects stuff and I like that. I mean the trains are an old timey thing. Yes. You know, um, I like the the old Thomas. The new one CGI just feels very hollow to me. It doesn't quite work. Yeah. Um so yeah, my wife likes the new stuff. I like the old stuff. That's much with houses. She likes the new kind of houses. I like old country style houses and I like more rustic vintage stuff. She's more into new kind of stainless steel and yeah, you know. It's it's just I think
1: that's the way a lot of women are. And, uh, you know. so it's it's similar to me and my wife's relationship too.
2: Yeah, no, totally, so, man. And she
1: she wants a house. If she wants to get a new house, I mean, it's got to be a newer house, or it's got to have newer things. And yeah, me, I could give two shits about that. I just want four walls, a roof, and
2: cable. <laughs> yeah, cable. Well, and air conditioning. I'm big on air, air conditioning.
1: Condi- yes, <laughs> and heat. But you know, but uh, you know, outside of that, I could I could live in anything. So, but you know, I think that's just the difference between men and women sometimes.
2: Yeah, oh, it totally is, man. It totally is, but <laughs> I'm glad that I'm not the only one who's pro-practical effects on Thomas.
1: Yeah. Two more, and we are all caught up. Here we go.
2: Hey, gentlemen,
8: it's me, Tom D.J., calling you from Veterans Dark Laboratory, out of Brooklyn. I uh, just finished listening to the episode that Sam and um, the Puck did. Um, Wild Love Lines, which... Uh, it was interesting hearing you talk about uh, the wildlife, which I saw on VHS back in, I want to say about 1990, because around 1989, 1990, I started a fanzine called Sticky Carpet Digest. It lasted about four years. And has, for some bizarre reason, I had like a bit of an obsession with Miss Jenny Wright. Oh, um, yes. And for some strange and bizarre reason, it became a running gag that we always had some sort of movie or feature involving her on the fourth page of the fanzine. And I did remember picking up The Wildlife because it was one of the, the things on her. And the thing that struck me was that for a film that was being sort of presented as, hey, it's wacky shit. It's a wacky teen teen comedy shit. It, it was just really kind of dark and strange. And the whole... Um, The whole storyline with ian mitchell smith was like really really downbeat and all this i mean so much of that film is just very very downbeat if i recall i read this is 20 years later i'm looking at this so it was interesting to notice that apparently i wasn't the only person who felt that way about some of the stuff in that movie um but That is the deal. I just want to, you know, it's just, it's been great. I've been enjoying the show, as always. You know, I just haven't been in touch much. And I have to contact you guys about getting copies of that uh, trilogy so we can finally pay off that bet. Okay? Yes. So uh, I will talk to you, I'm sure, very soon. And, you know, we should also probably talk about one day having you guys, because I think one of you guys is available during the morning. Having one of you guys come on and like maybe sit down and do an episode with us. Anyway, Love it. I'm taking up too much of your time. I'll talk to you later. Peace.
1: Both of us are typically available in the mornings nowadays, so. Yeah, that would be, be work great. Yeah, wildlife is uh slightly dark. I can say that. I know you haven't seen it. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it, you know, something about those 80s comedies. You know, they're just a little darker. And yet they're kind of bubbly. It's very strange. But uh, they started to tinge darker, obviously. I always say AIDS and stuff probably really started that. So. Uh, yeah, it tends to be a
2: bit of a, a mood <laughs> yeah. killer. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, it kind of brings the party down a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, we got one last voicemail here, and we're all caught up. And I cannot tell you how proud I am of us that we soldiered through. I am dog-tired, but oh yeah, I am very happy that we are caught up now. Here we go.
3: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Neck. I just wanted to say I really enjoyed the teenage sex comedy episode. It was really, really funny and good, and it just, uh, especially breaking down the teenager's room in a wildlife with the nunchucks and the (laughs) Bruce Lee posters, I think. Man, growing up in Long Island, I think it was like the law that every teenager had a Chinese throwing star, nunchuck, (laughs) or the Rambo survival knife. Yes, totally, with the compass on the bottom. Yes. And uh, I thought that was really funny. And, man, it's pretty insane, too, when you really think about how many teenage sex movies there were in the 80s. Like, it could probably rival how many slasher films came out. In other, word, in other oh, yeah. ways, like you guys brought up, I mean, like, slasher films between the killings were sometimes were just, you know, teenage sex comedies without as much humor, because that's what all they were doing anyway. Mm-hmm. But I, I think what's really interesting, too, is the fact that, I mean... I mean, when you have, when your kids are teenagers and they're going to be, if they discovered these movies from the 80s, like, what a surreal time capsule they're going to have. Like, this (laughs) bizarre world of video stores, record stores, arcades, Yes. you know, like, why is it so important that they have to raise money to save this fucking bikini shop before it closes, you know, and every (laughs) time, you know, every fucking spring break movie had to have a wet t-shirt contest. (laughs) And, you know, it's just the movies had just the weirdest shit going on in them. And you're absolutely right about Dark Tones, too, because a lot of them, a lot of movies also dealt with, like, abortion, getting, you know, getting laid and then getting the chick pregnant. So, like, you're right, man, the movies were just very surreal. And, uh, yeah, just wondering, one thing was uh, this one... Teenage sex comedy from the 80s. I always consider like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of teenage sex comedies because it's so fucking depressing. And it was, uh, it's called The Last American Virgin. I know yes. if you guys ever oh, seen yes. that one because it's just really dark. It's like, I don't know, it's not a very feel good movie. But anyway, uh, it was an awesome show. I'd love to hear you guys do more, especially with, uh, Brian and Mr. William there this time. I metal late.
1: All right. The one and only Nick. Thanks for super fights, by the way um yes. yes uh yeah last american virgin i I think i said on twitter that last american virgin and fast times are like the to me they're like the citizen cane of teen sex comedies
2: so, yeah it's hard to argue uh you know with that
1: yeah so it's you know but there's there's several out there that are still good some golden gems we'll get we'll get some going we'll get some going with will on, on the show
2: yeah there's a lot of them i haven't seen man because you know i was i'm a little bit younger than you guys and yeah, yeah. the big ones i've seen and some of the off the beaten path ones certainly but um, I was a little too young for some of them, so right, right. yeah, get to yeah. see some teased hair and <laughs> and terry cloth. Uh, Daisy Dukes is never a bad thing.
1: Well, and they're very g g t m c anyway, because a lot of them obviously have the Zubaz. They got the wacky sunglasses, mullets, you know,
2: pink uh, cardigans draped over shoulders with Ray Bans. Insane, insane. Yes, and
1: if you are in Love Lines, it has a, a Dodge laser that shoots alcohol bombs out the back of it. So there you go. That sounds as crazy as it is. It's just insane. Nice. <laughs> All right, nice. so that is the big show this week. You want to go through the pleasantries? We're all caught up on the uh, on the feedback. It feels great. Now we just got to figure out what we're covering next week as we go along here.
2: Okay. Uh, <clears throat> let me say this. Uh, program for Japan is still going on. We're going to maybe run this little promo for a few more weeks. In terms of those people that have donated, we've gotten a good amount of them so far, I think seven or eight, maybe nine. Um, once we do Ladies Appreciation Month, we'll rotate you know one or two in a month, depending on our commitments. They're going to be in the order of the people that donated – so um, let's just keep that in mind. We haven't forgotten. It's just we had Ladies Appreciation Month to get through first and our other commitments. So we're going to get that rolling very soon. Uh, you needn't worry. And to do that, it's $50 or more uh, donated uh, to uh, any noble effort for Japan. Um, sister shows, OTC and show show, uh, check out all of our friends over at Palaver. So many dear friends are over there. Uh, check out all their shows, you know, everyone from family movie night uh, to movie meltdown and everyone in between, uh, paleo cinema, action attraction, better in the dark. Uh, we'd, I'd love to, do, we'd love to do something with, uh, Tom and Derek at some point. It'd be great. Uh, kiss with our dear friend, Brian, uh, Highliner is still better than bird's eye to him and Paul. They know what that means. Um, <laughs> Married with clickers criterion cast the podcast that honor and humanity I love that promo he kept, by the way where he says uh, you know Ching Chong Ching <laughs> Chang is <laughs> yes. an appropriate salutation in all Asian countries uh, projection boot Booth.com, com uh, V cinema and uh, as far as, as as far as podcasts Paracinema.net, our favorite genre magazine from our favorite couple in the MIC nightmaretheater.blip.tv for our favorite Floridian Um. The ggtmc.blogspot.com, cinemastory.wordpress.com, and the rest of these are .blogspot.com. Of course, Playground of Doom, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Deadly Dolls House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, lightningbugslayer.com, it should be said, and then Fist of B-List, Scared, Shiftless, and Shasta. i got to tell uh, Shiftless that we passed a street. Where were we going yesterday, me and my wife? Oh, uh, to this rocket ship park. It's this a great park uh, for kids. Mm-hmm. Um and one of the streets was called Shasta, so I thought that was kind of funny. I thought of him yesterday. Nice. Uh, Moon in the Gutter, Chimp Talk, and of course, uh, yeah, that's it for blogs. Uh, vendors and friends of the show Diabolic DVD, CDB for all your hard to find genre needs, promo code Gentlemen for 10% off your orders, omg entertainment.com. Uh, lots of good deals going on over there. Uh, promo code GGTMC10 for 10% off your orders, and the mighty, mighty Camera Obscura. Uh, there's also iTunes for reviews. Facebook us. Join the group. Join us uh, as friends so we can all get in on some discussions. Twitter is .com, backslash GGTMC. Large William, Bob Freelander, uh, Pickle Loaf 10, Uncoolcat. Cat. Uh, Et cetera, et cetera, I don't think I'm forgetting anyone, am I? <laughs>
1: no, not really. Uh, there's so many, man. <laughs>
2: so many. so uh, many. We have a donate button if you want to donate money. That's always appreciated. It's not free to watch the show, uh, and diapers don't pay for themselves. Uh, not that we're poor. We're not wearing barrels with suspenders, but you know, if you want to donate, feel free to do so. Speak for yourself.
1: Uh, it's hard to get in and out of this chair.
2: Yes, exactly, (laughs) exactly. Uh, One thing I do want to mention as an aside in Cuba, I meant to mention this man. You'll see if you're you're friends with me on Facebook, there's a picture of me arm wrestling, probably the largest man in Cuba. Um, He's about 6'4 and about 260, brawny motherfucker, but the sweetest man in the universe. His name was Julio. Um, Anyway, I said, let's get an arm wrestling shot, right? So we get the picture and he says to me... uh, oh, uh, you know, the movie was Sylvester Stallone. I said, over the top? He goes, yeah. He goes, I love it. I <laughs> thought, what a GGTMC moment. This man in Cuba, <laughs> yeah. this humongous man who probably doesn't get access to too many uh, slime <laughs> movies and me we were having a moment about uh, over the top. And I said, yeah, he's a trucker in it with his son. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, it was quite, the, quite the great moment. So
1: Lincoln Hawk.
2: Good old Lincoln Hawk. <laughs> yeah. So And I told him about Hands of Steel because I said that dude that he wrestles in the end is in... Uh, I thought he was in Hands of Steel. The guy, Blanc- is that Blanco or am I mixing up? I think I'm mixing up people now. but
1: Maybe. I don't know. I know
2: can't. Those bald mustachioed arm wrestlers uh, <laughs> tend to look alike.
1: Yes. <laughs> That's a good point uh okay so that is the big show and thank you to everybody and everything uh what do you want to do next week largely and we got uh several we can choose i know roop wants to kind of be on the one his wife chose so
2: that's that's cool but let's let's do the one do the mother's one get out of the way since technically we always do that mother's day week which kind of usually kicks off the month yeah we'll
1: do we'll do our moms first then we'll do splendor in the grass from your mom and we'll do the limey from my mom
2: it'll be a very cool episode with some very cool actors and at least your mom balances out the GTTMC because my mom, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so has to throw some love.
1: Might be your mom's pick. Might be the most off the rails pick we've ever done on the show. Would you say maybe?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's up and, there with
1: like from Justin to Kelly, like like a bet movie almost. But I mean, it's yeah. like, I've seen the film before. It's a better film than that, but <laughs> yeah, way certainly. Better. But, certainly. But uh,
2: like Warren Beatty, Natalie Wood, a classic Hollywood film.
1: Yes. So okay, Splendid in the grass and the limey It is then. It's gonna be Paris fun.
2: Malik roughing people up turn stamp not malik ah fuck you good point (laughs) i said malik i was thinking you know why i was too busy thinking about uh, joe d'alessandro as a goon in that again
1: (laughs) nice all right uh so that is the big show uh we'll say adios
2: adios
0: thanks for listening you can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com you can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail dot